to Week in Horror. You gotta be fucking kidding. The only podcast that will feed your horror need. The need to feed. With JL. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> Eugene. Somebody has to be the sex symbol. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alex. Shit, I just demonetize this forever. And Johnny O. How do you like that shit? Got half was in a monologue before unmuting myself. Golly, it's one of those fucking days. <laughs> With industry guests. Hi, this is Richard Oakes, director of host. Hey, this is Adam Leader, director of host. This is Matthew Mark Hunter. I'm Donna Nelly. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And this is Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! News, trivia, and more. One by one, we will take you. Join our live show Wednesdays at 7 central, youtube.com slash weekinhorror, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Week in Horror. Stay scared. (laughs) I don't know what happened there. We were there for a second, and then we were gone again. (laughs) I'm sorry, hit the button. (laughs) Premature button pushing. Premature button pushing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Jeez, we're so stupid. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That's true this time. And that means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast. The only podcast broadcasting from the furthest reaches of experience that's not pinhead behind me and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast host you can join us here for our live show on youtube so you too can laugh and scream with us flex your horror knowledge in the live chat and maybe even win some trivia prizes this week we're covering select films and horror history april 24th through april 30th thank you all so much for joining us i'm some fat guy and with me are jl and eugene Hello, everybody. <laughs> What's up? Why can't you just introduce yourself? I did. Everybody knows me as that now. Oh, fantastic. Soon it's going to be some not as fat guy because I'm losing weight. Okay. The idea is to be some skinny guy by the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> he has been. I've been following his, uh, his stories and posts. Yeah, he's been going to the gym all the time. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so much fun. So much fun when you just ruffle his feathers. No, no, I'm just saying, okay, about you lose weight. <laughs> like, okay. To all the listeners, I am presenting the bird right now. <laughs> let the record show. Let the record, let the record show the defendant is currently flipping off. <laughs> You know, oh, man. you know, the bird. Yes, <laughs> yes I know what the bird is, Goose. You know, the finger. Yes, I know the finger. Oh, you um, giving him the, keeping up uh, foreign relations. Communicating. Giving, communicating. Yep. Giving him the bird. You know, the finger. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Just, just... <laughs> oh, man. There's a, I forget who put the theory out, but I saw this, this Top Gun theory talking about how it's really a movie about, uh, about, Tom Cruise's character being gay. Was it the volleyball scene that gave it away? I mean, that's not the only thing that gives it away. Because they're talking about they're talking about how he was over at uh, Kelly McGinnis's character's house, right? And she'd all made dinner and seduced him and all this stuff, and then he just like left because he didn't want anything to do with that. And it wasn't until she showed up the next day in the elevator, dressed as a dude, dressed more guy like, yeah, more guy like, yeah. And then he was like, "Let's do it." 
<laughs> you're, you're, we're, we're not even we're not even five minutes in and you're just gonna get this podcast in trouble anyway i'm not the one who said it i'm just <laughs> this is true this I is true saw. i saw this you know thing. and i have seen I, I think i've seen the video that yeah. you're talking about that 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 breaks that down i thought it was funny oh man we got if this is this, this is an interesting way to begin the show absolutely <laughs> 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 and of course whether or not tom cruise is gay is a horror story for him Guys. No, whether or not Maverick is gay, not Tom Cruise. I don't oh, know what Tom I'm Cruise sorry. is. Tom Cruise Whoops. is something weird. Oops. So it's like an F4 <laughs> metaphor for penis? I think so. Like F14 is just like 14 inches. And you can be my yeah. wingman anytime. Yeah. Bullshit. That's you why can there's be mine. two pilots. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although I never Val would Kilmer believe it. And- I'll never believe that Tim Robbins would ever fit into the cockpit of one of those things. There's no way. Way too tall, six foot four, <laughs> motherfucker. No, Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise would absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Cruise, Cruise is a perfect size. <laughs> five of him in that motherfucker. But the single seater, I know. <laughs> oh well. What are we doing? Let's talk about horror stuff. Let's kick this stuff off. So, <laughs> hello everybody. That's Good right. To see Top Gun is of the Navy. Mm, it's true. <laughs> it's- but in Navy's defense, whenever you had to go somewhere, they always gave you a ride. So, oh well, yeah, that's yeah. true. But then I'll be that's like, true. "Why is my Uber driver?" <laughs> that's so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so man, okay, we are kicking off real strong tonight. Yeah, buddy. All right, well. Good evening, everyone. Good to see everybody. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about tonight. So before we get into our movies, we're going to touch on a few things. We have some things to show you as well. So before we jump into anything, let's say hi to everybody before the chat gets too deep and I miss everyone. Let me see. Hi, here. We, got, we got Angel Rivera's in the house. Good to see you. Says, what up, what up? Good to see you, Angel. Travis Brown as well. Good to see you, Travis Brown. Uh, looking forward to you uh, to seeing how you're going to do with the uh, After Dark this upcoming weekend. It's going to be interesting. And, of course, at the Bloodbath, which is this Saturday. And uh, those invites will be going out for our special guest judges. And Skitch Crash is in the house. Is yay. Good to see you as well. Thank you so much for being here. Cindy Johnson as well is in the house. Good evening to you. Raven Darkstar, good to see you, Raven. And NANA, one of our longest patrons. And you can see all of our patrons down below. You see them scrolling across the board there. And, of course, see Jinju as well. Thank you so much for being here. And, um... Tony Regime, thank you so much. Says hello, everyone. Hello, Tony Regime. Hey, and H. Jasper E., another one of our amazing patrons. Good to see you. And Sonia Garlic, good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Got an amazing uh, uh, live chat going on. Sir Chasm, as well, is in the house. Good to see you, Sir Chasm. Thank you so much for being here. As well as, I know I saw another name in there. Does Donnie does that? And the George said. Donnie does that's in the house. Good to see you, Donnie does that. And, and the Jordan. And uh, or and the George Ed or Jordan, good to see you. Says, hey, Weekend Horror, sorry I missed you live last week. Can't wait for this one, though. Not often I've seen every movie in the Weekend Horror lineup. Very, very cool. Oh, it's okay. Awesome, awesome. It's not often I've seen every movie in the Weekend Horror lineup. <laughs> <laughs> Travis. <laughs> it, oh, it just caught up with okay. Sorry, <laughs> tra- I, was, I was also looking at this. Uh, so, yeah, Sir Cap says, and TOS shut down in three, three two. two. Well, Travis Brown says, F Tom Cruise. How about Charlie Sheen and Hot Shots? Yep. I love Hot Shots. Too. Hot Shots, amazing movie. Yeah. And yeah. Media Bacabi is very. That's yeah. Aaron. Aaron's hanging out in the live chat. Good to see you. He says, I'm here ish. 
All good. Is that like finish? <laughs> There-ish? I don't know. It's so stupid. And H.S. HS Bree, not a problem at all. It's just not a patron lately, but looking forward to having my stuff started next month. Whenever's good for yeah, you, bud. No we're, just, we're just happy to have you in the live chat here hanging out with us. So thank you yeah. so much, bud. We do appreciate it big time. All right. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to announce that we have a new patron. We do. Wait, wait, we wait, do wait, have a new patron. More. Did, did we uh, say hi to Cindy Sue? Yes. Hi, Cindy Sue. Oh, okay. Or hi, Cindy Sue. Hi, Good Cindy to see you, Cindy Sue. Thank you so much for being here. If oh, I missed it, I apologize. Um, but you can see their name down there in the uh, down there in the banner. It is Kevin Worsh. Is a new actually. I have to. I just realized I misspelled his name because I'm <laughs> like an idiot. So there we go. So Kevin Worsh is our brand new patron. Uh, joins our fanatic family. Thank you so right much, there. Kevin. We do appreciate it. Absolutely and, appreciate it. Thank you and then so of course, much, Kevin. And of course, if you also would like to be a patron, if you'd like to find out how to support the channel, the link for our patron is down in the description below. We have a number of tiers that are available with all kinds of cool bonus stuff and uh, special access behind the scenes. Go ahead and check those out. The link is down in the description. So, low as a dollar a month. Yeah, our lowest yeah. tier, one dollar a month. Yeah. And see, oh, Aaron says, I'm in a shitty mood. I've been walking around acting like JL all day. You've been walking around extremely handsome and fully knowledgeable about all the things that you talk about? Yeah, that's what he meant. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, so. I don't know if you guys saw it, and I don't know if the audience saw it, but I want to show it tonight and get everybody's opinion. The new trailer for Firestarter is out. Yay. I have seen it. Have you seen it, Johnny? No, I've been busy doing that work back there, but I haven't uh, seen it. So here, so I wanted, so I wanted to show the show. This is good. This would be the first time you've seen it. And of course, our live audience seat as well for those who have not seen it. And I want to show everybody and get everybody's initial reactions to it. You ready? So, for everybody in the live chat, this is the trailer for Firestarter. Give me Drew Barrymore back. <laughs> All right. So, that was the trailer for Firestarter that just recently dropped. And considering it comes out next month, uh, I was just kind of curious as to. So, is that going streaming or is that going to be both? Okay. Yep. Now you're I mean, shaking your head. Oh, go ahead, Eugene. I mean, it feels it feels like the horror genre cap, uh, capitalizing on the superhero genre. Yeah, it seems oh. more like a superhero origin story than kind of is like the the original feels like its own thing. Like it doesn't feel like a super. I feel like she's going to become some Avenger like at the end of it. Yeah, interesting. And, like I wanted, to, I wanted to be kind of like its own thing. I don't want it to be like a. Oh, she could be a superhero, or oh, she could be. It's like no, she's a girl that is going through a traumatic experience and has to deal with the power. I want it to be more like Carrie. Carrie has yeah, superpower. Right. Feel like a superhero. Hmm. Let's see. I, I don't know. I don't know about this. It's just I don't want to sound like that. That person's like, oh, it's not the original, so it's going to stink. But they have. A very tall order to fill. We talked about this many, many times in this show about people redoing classics. Mm -hmm. And at best, realistically, you can hope to be just just as good as, right? That's it's like the ceiling for most of these films, especially with some, like beloved classics like Firestarter, uh, like Christine, um, 
And there'll be people like, no, this movie's so much better. And they're going to be categorically incorrect. But just because that's true doesn't mean we can't enjoy the film. I don't, so I, I'll reserve, I'll reserve my negative judgment until after I've seen the film. <laughs> so Travis Brown says, someone tells Zach Efron he is not in high school musical. And well, here's the thing Zach Efron <laughs> gets a lot of shit, but he really has some chops. He does. He does. Zach can act. He can act. I didn't want to ever admit that because he's goofy ass, but I've seen him in enough, uh, enough roles. He's got some chops. Agreed. Yeah, when you see when you see him as Ted Bundy, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's he a too, like if you take a picture of him and put it next to Ted Bundy, and when he's in Ted Bundy characters, look too close. <laughs> you need to, you and the George says, "I do get that. It's like it's trying to be Brightburn, but that's not what the original was meant to do." And I have to agree with that because the original, uh, I mean, obviously the original Firestarters, uh, both the novel and the, the the adaptation, which was based very strongly off the novel. Just little bits that were left out that were unnecessary, but it's still it can it set in the Stephen King universe where there isn't really the CIA. There's a place called the shop, right? And the shop is the one that deals with all of this paranormal stuff and essentially acts like the CIA in the Stephen King universe. And the shop has been has been referenced multiple times throughout Stephen King's works. So, and this is just a continuation on that they were running experiments like MK Ultra and like here in the real world, and then of course resulting in actual psychic phenomena. And then Charlie is the result of two of those participants having a child, falling in love and having a child. So I think it was a, he was a, he was a pusher. He was a mental pusher and she was a telekinetic. Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden they get, they have the, they have Charlie who's uh, this extremely powerful um, uh, pyro, basically a pyrokinetic is what she is. So it's, but like, I, I like what Aaron said. Aaron said it feels like it went more Dean Koontz than Stephen King, where it's leaning heavily into the government conspiracy and then aspects that weren't, that weren't really strong in the in the novel or in the, the original movie with Drew Barrymore is that that one, that Eugene, you're right, that one focuses more on Charlie's coming of age, right. dealing with the trauma of, of losing her parents, dealing with the, the, the circumstances of her birth, and, of course, dealing with this power that kind of separates her from everybody around her. And knowing her limitations and knowing when when and when and not to use it. So obviously, all the things we have to deal with growing up, only hers are more exacerbated because she's. But it's still a coming of age. Because she can light your fire. Yes, she can. Yes. Now, unfortunately, Take this man one, of life. and I think this one loses it. That's that's the charm of the original. Yeah. And why it was so well. Good. The charm of the original was Drew Barrymore. Let's be honest. Oh she yeah, had that little you know those little yeah. cheeks, a cute little face. <laughs> like oh, she's so wait a minute, she just tortured you. That's kind of scary. That something so awful can come out of something so sweet and innocent. Yeah, that I mean honestly, it's not me being funny. I'm being serious. If you look at Drew Barrymore in that role, she was. She had just done uh, what was it? Um, oh fucking hell! Ouch. She just oh, come off of ET, yeah. and she was still she wasn't much. Or she was what two years after ET, when the original Firestarter, something like that, 1983, 1984, some shit like that. Um, yeah, I mean, she was fresh off of ET, and she still had that that cute little face and that sweet little innocence about her. And here she is torching things. Right. That was the perfect combination of you know that sweet and spicy so to speak but yeah that's that was the charm of the original film was you, know, you fell in love with drew barrymore's portrayal of that character and you know um because of how cute she was and her little mannerisms and the fact that she was this little doll of a of a satan child you know and you're like yeah and then of course the story was really good too 
Uh, and this one, it seems that they're kind of, I don't know. I just, maybe it was a trailer. Maybe it was a bad trailer. Yeah. And, and see, that's what I'm hoping. It's like a, they're, they're going to try to mark like a superhero movie because it's hot right now. Yeah. But right. it could be something completely different. That's what I'm hoping for. So it, it could have been we got a misleading, we got a slightly misleading trailer. There's also the fear that somebody brought that somebody in the live chat brought up that they show. Oh, as Sir Kazan said, they showed all the good bits and good good bits in the trailer, and I still wasn't impressed. And possible that's that's always a possibility that we got all of the really really hot parts uh, in, yep. in the trailer, but unfortunately <laughs> we we made that you know may not leave nothing for the film. So I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm still 50-50 on it based upon what I saw. So, but I wanted to share with everybody and see what people thought. <clears throat> I see that we got a couple of a couple more people jumped in. I saw Commander Darklight. Good to see you, Commander Darklight, one of our oldest uh, patrons. Thank you so much. And I see uh, God420, another one of our amazing patrons in the house. Good to see you. All right. And the last thing <clears throat> I wanted to uh, bring up was this one, because this episode is going to air this coming Sunday, is when it goes out to all the podcast, uh, podcast sites. And this the, the last weekend in April is going to be Texas Frightmare Weekend 2022. And I will be traveling down to Texas so I can go and uh, hang out and get some autographs and pretty much just show Weekend Horror wherever I go. And uh, so, oh, and I see Elizabeth Sylvester as well. Good to see you, Elizabeth Sylvester. Thank you so much for being here. Another one of our amazing patrons and supporters. Thank you so much. Um, but I'll be going down there. And um, I've got it set. I actually set my list. So, oh, goodness. Wow. I need to, like, check my phone. Because we have two new patrons. Oh, wow. Two new patrons that just came in. Um, so, and I'll, I'll add y'all's name to the banner, but we'll go ahead and do your big shout outs right now. Uh, Cindy Sue has joined the patron, uh, the Weekend Horror patron family. Thank you so much, Cindy Sue. Thank you so and, much, Cindy Sue. And Don Warner has joined the uh, the Weekend Horror Patron family. Thank you so much, Dawn. We do oh, appreciate thank that. Thank you so much, Dawn. <laughs> awesome. Definitely. Thank you very, very much. We do appreciate that. And uh, Dawn, be sure to get your shipping details to us, either via Patreon or via Discord, via the Discord, or you can just email them to us at weekendhorrorgmail.com so we can get you set up uh, for your for your uh, patron uh, uh, bonus gift. So just let me uh, just go and get this to us whenever you can. Thank you so much. All right, man. Cool. And then, of course, so um, I'll be going to down to Texas Frightmare Weekend, and I made myself a list of who I'm going to be getting. And I know that Aaron was like crazy jealous of this. Um, I know I put it in here. I had to scroll back through the messages. We talk so much on on Messenger. Oh yeah. So I am definitely going to get Brad Dourif, Lance Henriksen. Alice Krieger, Bill Mosley, and Heather Langenkamp. I am definitely getting them. And then I may possibly get the Screamcast because Nev Campbell, Skeet Ulrich, um, uh, Jamie Kennedy, and Matthew Lillard will all be there. So I may get that one because I'm thinking about getting like the um, I'm thinking about getting the uh, the cast for like the cast shot when they're all sitting around the fountain in front of the school. And get get it with all, all of them together, and then getting them all to sign. The only person I'd be missing is Rose McGowan. So, but getting all of them to sign that, I think that would be cool. And then, of course, uh, possibly Fiona Dorif, because I'm a big fan of Brad Dorif's daughter. So, I'm pretty, yeah. I'm a big fan of hers as well. So, maybe those. But I know who I'm definitely getting. 
do you think you uh, you might be coming out or you too busy? Uh, it's gonna it's gonna depend because I might have a couple of gigs that weekend, and um, because I'm hoping because if I get if I do I get to work on some pretty serious stuff, so I'm really nice. really excited about that. On- and he's gonna need a janitor. <laughs> 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 exactly. You know, last year I got the high five Tony Todd as he walked past me. That was right there. That was the highlight. You just walked past us. I'm like, high five. It's like, high five. Yep. Done. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. What about you, Johnny? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to try to be there. I was okay. trying to look at, the, look at the dates because there are some things that might be happening um, for me on those dates. That's the 29th and that's the 30th, right? Yep, the 29th, the 30th, and the 1st. Mm, I might be able to make it. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll but see. yeah, it should be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I will be down there and uh, just pretty much chilling out Week in Horror and, of course, adding some autographs to my growing collection that's on my wall. You can't really, which is a shame. I, I probably need to restructure because you I can't told really you how to fix it, but you don't listen to me, so. No, yeah, how to light it, yes, but how to like arrange everything so you can see everything. You don't have to be able to see everything. You just got to be able to see some of it. Like, oh, and you can. You can see. You can yeah. see all of those. Like all the ones that are, you can see the ones that are behind me. Yeah. And I've got ones like all down there. And, and eventually there's just going to be more. They're going to be all over the place. It's my big, and it's, you know, and all my, all my autographs are customized. They're, they're personalized to me. So I, it's not like, you know, so they're, they're mine. So I'm just, I'm happy about that. Oh, did you see, I don't know if I sent it to you or not. Did you see that TikTok? I think I sent it out. I can't remember, but it was, uh, this, it was a night that we were there because I remember this happening. I saw it just kind of randomly saw it on TikTok. Uh, it's that little the little guy dressed up as Jason uh, taking his picture with CJ and Kane Hodder. Oh, I think no, I did. You sent it because I, I was working all day. I didn't get a chance to watch it. Yeah, I, yeah. I was like, man, that looks that looks really familiar. And I asked, hey, is this from Texas Frightmare Weekend uh, last year? And at first, like, no, it's from Nashville, blah, 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 blah. I was like, man, that looks awful lot like Texas Frightmare Weekend. <laughs> and the creator came back and said, oh, no, you're right. Uh, CJ just corrected me. This is from Texas Frightmare Weekend. Yeah, yeah, yes, and we were there, and we saw this happen. So that was pretty cool. Very cool. That's yes. awesome. Yeah. Oh, and I see Don Warner down there in the chat. Good to see you, Don. Thank you so much for joining us as a patron. We do appreciate it. Thank you for the support. All right. Well, it's so going to be exciting times coming up. I guess we should talk about horror movies or something. Yes, we got some movies to talk about. Let's do it. Eugene, or is it JL? JL, you're, Me? Yeah. you're on deck. Let's do it. Let's see what we got. All right. So our first movie, let me make sure I pull up the info on it. Well, first, the first one we're going to talk about tonight released April 26, 2018, and it is the movie Downrange. Let's take a look at this trailer. That's what happens when you fart. No, it's shark fart. It's shark fart. <laughs> this movie is so brutal. Mm. Okay, something's nope. going on here. Nope. No, no trailer for you. No, there is. There is. I promise it's here. <laughs> here we. No, no, no. It's not that one. Cancel that. It's definitely not that one. All right. Oh, it's over. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> Such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Downrange, directed by, I'm going to try, I've, I've looked it up how to do it. It's uh, Rui Kitamura, 
and written by Rui Kitamura and Joey O'Brien, starring Kelly Conair, Stephanie Peterson, Stephanie Pearson, and Rod Hernandez. Really? You act like it's the Cyrillic bullshit you give Eugene and myself. <laughs> over there. I'm gonna take my time with this one. I'm not for certain. Uh Rui Kitagora. Like, fuck off. It's not some <laughs> so the the so the movie downrange follows a group of teenagers who find themselves who uh as a result of a of a blown tire find themselves stuck on the side of a very rural and empty kind of desolate road where they are then systematically picked off by a sniper hiding out there somewhere in the wilderness and of course uh inevitably people come to help them and it turns into an absolute bloodbath but uh, and and oh, I'll think of this for for something that was a Shutter original. I really really enjoyed this one. I dug the hell out of it. And movies like this are I always find particularly a, a bit more scary than like you know, supernatural, like ghosts or goblins or you know monsters or heaven and hell like this because this it's actually happened. I mean, not because it's a yeah story, but you know what was it two thousand and um, what was that that. The the sharpshooter and his son. Oh, oh the, 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 DC, the DC sniper. The DC yeah, yeah, sniper. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the the very real aspect of it, given given how it was portrayed, given how the sniper was portrayed, and you know what was going on, and I and I I felt it was a little bit forced that one of the one of the characters had like some military background because she because she was a military brat, so she's kind of like able to kind of give the exposition to the audience to kind of keep us caught up. That was a little unnecessary, but. It works, and uh, a vicious little film that obviously I think hits, so, hits I a little say, bit harder because of how realistic it is. Yeah, this film gives me hope for certain things. I, I, you know what? How I felt about this movie is closer to how JL. I'm going to call it the Ninth Gate. Because I'm not going to spoil the ending, but all oh. I'm going to say, <laughs> the last death, that's not, that's not how a bolt-action rifle works. It's just, it's not. It, like, I wa- like, I was watching it, and I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of cool so far, and I, I can bypass certain things. He must be using a snot, he must be using a silencer, and there's never a fucking snot- silencer on it at all at any point whatsoever on it. He's using, like, maybe like a Remington 700, something like that on it those things are fucking loud by the way yeah yeah and the thing is is like on top of that when you think of a when you think of a gunshot even a gunshot at long range is it's like a giant megaphone because everything's coming out one end right super loud on the receiving end and even with the silencer Weapons are still loud, even with silencers. Yes. They're not as loud. You know, yeah, loud. that's the funniest thing about like the, the the whole movie magic thing when they put on is really what we're called. We're talking about suppressors because no such thing as a silencer, right? Yeah. You yeah. can put all the suppression you want; they're still going to make noise. Right. That, that sound just doesn't stop; it goes somewhere. Uh, what a suppressor does is it helps dissipate the sound quicker, so it's not at it, whatever. We're getting into the like the nitty gritty of what a suppressor is, but yeah, you're absolutely correct. There's no, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That. So, like, I like I said, I'm not going to spoil it because it's still within like a five year or a five year period. And I was like, okay, I can get it. I can bypass some of the stuff. Like the gore effects on it were really cool. On it, it had some really really interesting moments. But that last, the last <laughs> kill, the last death, I was just. I almost table flip. I was just. <laughs> are you? It may be the stupidest death I've ever seen. 
in a or maybe not ever, but I've seen in a long time. As stupid as uh, one girl running up on Michael Myers in Halloween Kills when he's at the car door. Look, because this is a, this is the reason. This why is the reason is why this one's this one is worse. The reason why I don't know one, if that one was worse. I don't know. I, I got. Well, I don't know. Because the reason is, is because on that one, she's like a side character. A bunch of people are doing kind of some stupid stuff, and she runs like, "Okay, it's a stupid kill." This one, you invest an hour and a yeah. half into this thing, and then it and then it happens. It's almost. I was almost as upset as in the Belco experiment. The girl who's like super smart, and then she hops down from the elevator and just gets shot in the head and just pop, just get popped right in the elevator. <laughs> and you're just like. I was like, damn, Danny, I'm sorry. It's like the door's open. Pow! I was like, oh, yeah. shit. Well, okay, that's I mean, Danny. Was, yeah, so I, I was so upset on that jack. But was, at least Danny's death in the Belco experiment served a purpose to let you know that it didn't matter how fucking smart you are, the only way you're getting out of this thing is by luck of the draw, if you're just the luckiest one. Right. Uh, 2018, to answer, I think it was Raven Darkstar's question, 2018. Um. But yeah, I gotta say, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's tough. It's tough because even though what's name was a throwaway character in in uh, Halloween Kills, I don't care how hard the <laughs> door into a fucking fifty caliber Desert Eagle, you're not gonna shoot yourself in the face that way. It just it's physically Desert Eagle. Desert Eagle point five. Point five. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's not. It's not. I mean, like. How right. that's hard for the hand to bend that way. Yeah, and then be able to, you know, and then pull the trigger so, on top. Yeah. yeah. So, and the George said, uh, "This is one of the first movies in a long time to actually give me a new fear. When I see a wide open field with a tree line, it gives me an uneasy feeling akin to sewers with it. That's impressive. And I will say, it does make. I mean, just just the sheer reality of it. Because other than the the, the like the last moment that Eugene is talking about, which." Arguably, it's kind of like, oh, what the fuck? It's very much a what the fuck moment. But other than that, everything leading up to that was, was you know, it was strong. It was good. And, and it elicits a real fear of it because this is something that, like I said, the best, some of the best horror takes directly from real life. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing beyond like supernatural or, you know, extreme to the point. It's like that could never happen in reality other than, you know, maybe that, that last five minutes. But uh, or that last moment, I would say in the in the movie. But uh, as far as it goes, that was terrifying because the dude was decked. I mean, once we finally, you know, once it finally reveals him, the guy was was loaded and obviously trained. And a, I mean, and that level of marksmanship is in. I mean, you watch YouTube, you see that level of marksmanship is absolutely is absolutely possible. Not to mention the editing was 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 strong because you know when you're trying to convey like distance kills like that, when you're trying to convey uh, a sniper and the reactions of people that they're they're shooting at, that can be difficult when it comes to film just because you're trying to convey the, the shock of the, the shock of the, uh, the gun firing to everybody's reaction. Your editing has got to be on point editing sound. Everything in this was really top notch. It was just a couple of minor hiccups here and there that that were just either unnecessary or just unwarranted, but especially with the level of investment, but as far as like the gruesome kills and really conveying how terrifying you know that situation would be, I gotta say this one was definitely solid. And it begs the question, it demands the audience ask, what would you do in that situation? There's there's actually because speaking about like with the sound, there's actually something I would have 
a little detail that I would have appreciated a lot more is so when you when you shoot long distances, bullets are supersonic. Therefore, the bullet will hit somebody before you'll even hear the bang. It's not yes. simultaneously. And in a very long range shot, somebody can get shot and like a little bit of time passes before you even hear the shot. And I wish they would have conveyed that a little bit more detail on something like that. Yeah. Could have that's what that's one of the things that makes sniper and the snipers so terrifying is because the bullet's gonna hit you before you hear it. Yeah, the, you know it's even there. Right. Light travels faster than sound. Um, and objects obviously travel faster than both. So that would have been great. That would have been a great little detail. Yeah, absolutely would have been an excellent detail to to like put a dot on the exclamation point of how far away these shots were happening. I mean, exactly on it. So it's like a couple of little things on a couple of little things on there. I think could have just upped it on it. I come from bias because I like long range shooting. So just like I say, I have a little bias right there on it. But in terms of targets, not people, by the way. Yeah, targets. Yeah, targets. Yeah, cans in people's hands. I mean, we all have to have a hobby. Absolutely. But what's what the thing? One of the things that is really terrifying, and we talk about real things, is where somebody's talking about an open space. Open spaces don't terrify me. If you're in an open space in the woods somewhere and you see a glint. Because right. scopes usually have a glint or they'll reflect light barely. So you're in open space and you see a little glint in the background. That's like a nope for me. See, that's that, that's that what I was. Just, I mean, um, I found like some piece of tin foil that somebody <laughs> tossed out of there. I found myself looking in the background because I knew, because just by the trailer, you know what the movie's about. You know there's going to be a sniper in it just by watching the trailer. And so I found myself constantly looking like when the characters are not paying attention, when they're like dealing with the, the, the busted tire and they're doing all that, blah, blah, blah. And I found myself looking at the background to see if there would be a glint off the scope, mm -hmm. you know, as like, you know, just as he was adjusting position or, or, or doing whatever, like he was like just a faint little glint, like off way off somewhere in the tree line, just to kind of give it away. But nobody noticed it, but the audience did. I thought that would have been really cool. Yeah, and something really and, and only in specific shots so you can see where he's going to be coming from so that the audience has a little bit more information that the characters do and I thought that would because then you're like oh crap because you see where he is then you're wondering when's the next shot going to come well like, where is it going to you know it's like when, when it's going to happen so because I mean I thought that would have been interesting I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity yeah but I'm watching watching this I have to admit the characters I mean as Are far dumb. as as huh they're dumb. Well, I mean, if you—that's what—that's what I'm saying. The the movie demands the audience ask themselves, "What would you do in this particular situation?" Drive I thought that a busted ass tire because I can still get down the street pretty quick. May not have all kinds of control. Might be a fight, but I can get down the street with three tires. On a uh, on a on the rim on the back on the rim on the rear tire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can drive on three tires. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, well, I mean, well, for one, they had they had, up, but well, sure, they had a busted running. tire. They had a busted tire. They didn't know what was going on until they tried. Until they already gotten the tire off. Now they got to get the new tire on. They're still under fire, and they didn't have time to bolt the thing, which is why kind of the, the rolling barricade kind of broke down. Yeah. So, what do you get? So in that situation, I mean, there wasn't much that they could do because the minute the guy realized the casing. Or not the casing. The uh, the shell was still it was like like tucked. You know, it was in between the rubber and the rim, 
And then when he pulled it off and the thing fell out and he was like, um, and it was in remarkable condition. I have to give it that. It was kind of uh, like, well, it, it's a, it's a brand new round, but I was kind of like, well, that, that looks very, very clean. That's been shot. <laughs> so, but when he realizes it and then boom, he goes down and I was like, okay. And then there wasn't much that they could do. So given the circumstances, I really, I mean, trying to run, obviously, would be very dumb. I think the only dumb decision that I saw, other than the very final one that pissed Eugene off, the only real dumb decision was that one girl who took off into the woods amongst the mist and the smoke and everything, why did she come back? Just go. Just run. Yeah, because I, like I like the idea of when they lit the car on fire. Especially, it's like, okay, if so, if you're under sniper attack right there, waiting until dark makes it harder to see. If a sniper is using any kind of, say, night vision, infrared, or something like that, right. you light the car on fire because you can see a lit cigarette in infrared. So a huge car burning, it's going to be bright. And the thing is, is with smoke, he still has to see the target. Mm -hmm. And, and the, like, the smoke is hot. The smoke is still hot coming off. Yeah, the, yeah, the smoke, so, yeah. And, so the smoke is still is still going thick. And the thing is, is like night vision. So you're, if he has infrared... It's going to hone in on the burning car. If he's using just regular night vision, the smoke is going to obscure it. And then what you do is you don't you don't run side to side like that. You run back. You, you if you're using the fire and smoke as cover, you stay along that line until you get into the trees. Because it, even then, once you get into the trees, he still has to have line of sight on yeah, it. Right. That that would have been that would have been my thought process. But I I come from that background, so. I can understand people not thinking something like that. Yeah, the civilians probably not thinking as clearly in this particular situation. All they know is someone's firing at me and I don't want to get hit. So panic then inevitably sets in. And yeah. then in some cases, they, like the, the panic's overwhelming and they just like like sit down, you know, and, and yeah. just people just like freeze and they don't know what to do. So they just try to be small and curl up and hopefully you know, it's that kind of animal instinct. That requires, you know, like training like Eugene has to kind of get past that and be like, no, this is what I need to do. This is what, what's going on. I need to be able to react in this situation. But uh, I thought it was deep. I thought it was fairly realistic and made it all the more kind of like uh, just it was, I would say scary in that respect, just because you never know. I did like about this movie, though, is this is a textbook low budget movie that. In terms of, I don't know. It, I think well, he he did look like, midnight meat train or something like that. Also, yes. Oh, uh, but that sounds naughty. <laughs> 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 but I like in terms of utilizing a budget because this is something that can be done on an extremely low budget. The film takes place in one area that they probably shot for maybe two or three weeks. You're you spend all your budget on three vehicles. You know you're gonna wreck. And then on makeup, uh, makeup and gore effects. Yeah. That's your entire budget right there on it. And it seems like it's something that can be really easy, doable. Once again, you don't have to explain anything because he's just there. He's just, I like to snipe people. They drive by. I'm going to, whatever, whatever his reasoning is. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to do anything like that. I mean, they could have shot this easily for maybe a couple hundred thousand and it doesn't feel that way so i right. will give them props on that they did extremely well 
Let's see, and I see that um, Rodent Nola's name is joined the chat. Good to see you, Rodent Nola's name. Thank you so much for being here, bud. I do, we do appreciate it. Um, they spent a full two minutes rerunning the muzzle flash in the cell phone. Why? Because we have to make up for time. We, we, I mean, there's we, we got to. It can't be super fast. You've got to do it enough time so Look, that the audience. 25-minute can... movies aren't going to sell, okay? We want an hour 15 or 20. <laughs> because we have to fill the time allotment. That's what we have to do. Um, apparently, we were buffering for a little bit. Uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Let us know if it's, if it's cleared up, Jordan. Sorry about that. Yeah, everybody else saying it's fine. Yeah, so, yes, it is just you and the Jordan's head. So, yeah, so this is kind of curious. Uh, so, I'm curious. I want to ask the audience. So, movies like this in which there is no motive there is no discernible reason as to why the villain is doing what they're doing why this mass murder or serial killing just taking place and you know it's left it's they never explain themselves they're never it, you know they're never forced to explain themselves there's no reason rhyme or reason as to why these terrible things are taking place because reasons because yeah, reason, because movie that's all we need yeah because movie because yeah movie <laughs> but i want to ask the audience what do you, what do you prefer? Do you prefer? Is it scarier for you, or do you like more when the villain has no motive, when there is no reason given? It's just what it is, you know. Evil does what evil does. Or do you prefer to have the exposition? Do you prefer to have the that explanation? Maybe it connects you more with the characters in themselves and their motivation, and makes you kind of ask those questions. So, which one do you find scarier? Which one do you prefer? Let us know in the live chat or down there in the comments or, of course, at weekendhorror at gmail.com. I really think it depends on it depends on the movie. It depends on the film. Because mm -hmm. it, for this thing, it works. Now, to say that there's no motive, there is a motive. We just don't know what it is. And it doesn't matter because this movie isn't about why he's doing it. It's about surviving the fact that he's doing it, right. which works. But if this was some sort of like intricate supernatural thing, then we would kind of need to know the motive. We would need why it's happening or we just don't give a shit. You know what I mean? So I think it depends on the movie, depends on the story you're telling, but I think both work. Gotcha. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it depends on also the kind of feel for the, the kind of feel that you're going for. So if you exist, you take something like The Strangers, this does work because it's yep. about just surviving and you see it from the victim's perspective, which victims don't necessarily get all that information. But if you take a movie, for example, something like, say, You're Next, you need that explanation. Yeah, it's cool that right. she kick ass and they have that whole home invasion thing and stuff like that. But if she was just whooping random people's ass as they're attacking, you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really you wouldn't be able care. To get into it. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't care. But so you brought up, uh, you brought up the Liv Tyler film, and the coolest part about that is there is no motive, and they let you know at the end of the film that there is no motive when you know she asks why us, and they say, well, because you were home. Because you were home. Point blank and period. You just happen to wrong that's like wrong place at wrong place at wrong time. Perfect. Works. And the Jordan says, yes, malice for the sake of malice is terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Right. And it's, I mean, it's think about it this way. Put it's, decidedly, it's decidedly human. Yeah, this is what I was gonna say. Right. Put yourself in a situation that if you've ever been in this type of situation, why was a bad shit happening to you? Did you know? No. Did you care? Probably not. You just wanted to get out of the bad situation. I'm not necessarily saying, like, hey, remember the last time you were a victim of a sniper thing? But, you know, think of the last time you were in some, you know, some some dangerous situation. Did you need the motive? No, you just needed to get the fuck out of there. So it works. Yeah. It's a very yeah, relatable, done right. Yeah, exactly. It's just somebody, it's somebody who's coming in 
trying to attack you. That's all you care about is to survive and get out of there. Right. right. So Commander Darklight says, yeah, Wolf Creek with the no motive. Why does Mick Taylor kill the people that he kills? Kind of because he's a xenophobe, but he also takes a real because grandiose he's level. Fucking of Australian and everything in Australia is trying to kill you. <laughs> because he, because he's, uh, yeah, because everything in Australia wants to kill you. And he and says, yes, no motive. No motive. There's a lot of love for the no motives. Think it. about that. What was that? Uh, oh, God. The home invasion film. Um, uh, <laughs> narrow it down. <laughs> uh, the, the newer one. Uh, fuck. Uh, with the baby baster. Oh, uh, don't breathe. Don't breathe. Golly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, think about what happened when they give us a motive for that one. Um, that, and that motive eventually, yeah. uh, that motive, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Anyway. He got a mouthful of it at the end. So definitely extreme. All right. So uh, Eugene, take us take us to our second one. I'm sorry that I gave you this one. No, he's not. He's like this. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be straight up honest. I do I do really like B films just in general, and I like I like B films that aren't necessarily like the stereotypical the Sharknado or blah 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 blah. <laughs> I do like some B films that are just straight up like if I walk, I'll, I'll be honest. If I watched this film as a kid. I would actually probably really like it. Um, but we're talking about Infected, which was released April 27, 2008. All right. Unfortunately, this trailer exists nowhere except IMDb. So, and I can't pull it from IMDb. So oh. I have to share it from IMDb. <laughs> we're going to be in Barney. You think it's going to get us in trouble? No. Okay. Because it's not YouTube. No. So. IMDb doesn't care. All right, here we go. <laughs> I was like, I tried to find it. I really did. Go, go, Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, Before man. I read this, fun fact, getting ready for this podcast. So there were two films that were called Infected that came out in, in 2008. Yes. <laughs> and did you, you watch the... You watched the wrong one, didn't you? No, I watched both of them. Because ah! <laughs> the other one is terrible. Because <laughs> yeah. you're like, listen, this is a bad film. So I was like, I don't know how bad you're talking about. <laughs> so this is the higher value, higher production value. Yeah, this is the better of the two. Yeah, this one actually can afford to have like a cast. So, I mean, Shocky is like, Gil Bellows, I mean, it's the, you know, pretty much B t television, B movies and television, you know, I get that. Supporting actors and like this, but, and, and a lot of indie film. But Isabella, Isabella Rossellini, Judd Nelson? Get for cash. Go ahead, and, and Eugene, give him the breakdown. Yeah, I mean, it's, okay, for, first of all, you have uh, directed by um, Adam Weissman and starring Maxim Roy, Gil Bellows, Isabella Rossellini, and Judd Nelson. And the trailer pretty much gives it away that you have these two reporters that are undercover or they're covering, um, they're investigating a whole conspiracy with aliens and all this other kind of stuff on it. This like this is one of those this is one of those films where I can honestly see how it has a cult following because it's it's kind of fun if you want to go and make a drinking game out of it. <laughs> 
You're gonna die. You're gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's like it's kind of fun. I'm not gonna tell you right right, like right now. I'm not gonna tell you it's a good movie. I'm not gonna be like, oh, you should go see it. Man, it's so awesome. It's gonna change. You should go watch it. So we're not the only ones who wasted an hour and a half. Yeah, it's one of those. If you just like those type of B movies, very really, really B. This is made for TV movie, sci-fi schlock. Yeah, yeah. Before it it was big, it premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel because you know. (laughs) 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 Oh man, those special effects, boy! I tell you. Oh man, that's that's um that's a that's some like two thousand special effects in a two thousand eight movie. Yeah. that's some that 1992 was, special effects trying to be 2000 special effects in a 2008 movie. It was that's, we, we look at it. We look at it like, yeah, the film is not great and it doesn't really, you know, proffer anything. I mean, there are movies that do it better. Um, hell, Charlie Sheen's The Arrival did it better. And yeah. the the question on this particular because it's you know it's similar kind of plot lines in that, but the big one on this one. And the reason I found this interesting, and I was kind of looking forward to talking about it, is that there's an there's a weird little phenomena that occurred with this particular movie. So the movie itself like came out, and it was immediately given like extremely negative negative reviews. Critics criticized um, essentially for the B movie kind of Z movie style elements, low grade cinematography, the extremely cheap budget, and of course the lack of any like, for lack of better words, the lack of coherence in the actual film. Um, and of course it was just, you know, and the, the, the pacing was completely off some places. It was too fast some places. It was too slow. And of course, uh, this, in you know, the storytelling, uh, and from a, as a, from a writer perspective, from a writer's perspective, the, the classic things that you use as a writer and especially in, uh, screenwriting were not used here. Like there, there's narrative elements that need to be used or to set certain things up in order to make a thing like coherent and to flow properly. Those were not used here. What this felt to me was like uh, was it was like it was a whole bunch of different scenes that were written and then just written independently. And then they took a whole bunch of things with this kind of like one governing idea and then tried to stitch it all together into one movie, yep. which unfortunately really doesn't work. Now, I think personally, this would have worked better as like a mini series. It's like a limited series. If you did like three episodes. Yeah, but you did added- it already. You did it twice. It was called V. This is true. This is true about you see, the, the subtle alien takeover. Yeah. If they still could have done it, it was for Canadian broadcasting. I wouldn't have had a problem with that. Just kind of rehashing old ideas and doing it new. But with breaking it up like that, it, I think it would have flowed a little bit. They would have been able to add a little bit of uh, better exposition instead of the exposition that they had and focus a little bit more on better effects. Because then they wouldn't, with, with three episodes, they with episodic, they wouldn't have needed to rely on them so heavily. And then they become a sticking point where it's like, wow it's like all over the place they could have limited it down to the bare minimum so basically bad points but the weird thing about this movie despite everybody hating it when it came out then this thing really so this thing releases nobody likes it but then it goes on the internet and it it, uh, debuted via google and then all of a sudden everybody likes it which was weird <laughs> first of all, it was really interesting that you brought it up that it would be broken up into a TV series because I'm looking at him, the director's IMDb, uh, Adam Weisman, and he comes from TV. I, was gonna say, I thought he did a couple of uh, of successful. Not yeah, he's done a 
bunch of like Disney Channel, uh, like iCarly and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, And I mean, he just has this huge list of all these TV shows. But in terms of movies, he, he directed maybe like three. Like total and all are like for TV movies. So he may have been stuck on that formula of the this is how you do a TV series. Yeah, you're right. right. It feels like a TV series. That's what he has a long career of doing. He's clearly very successful as a TV director. Doing what he knows. Doing what he knows. And but transitioning into that feature film, it just didn't work. Right. I just I got that feeling from it just from a writing perspective. It seemed like there was stuff that it could that could have been expanded that would have been a lot better, would have served the picture served the picture a lot more positively, and things that could have been left out. Um, but then again, like I said, it felt like a Frankenstein of a film. Just like you know, like like you took like ten individual scenes that were all kind of semi related, and then and then stitched them all together in order to make a kind of cohesive a kind of cohesive right. narrative and then this overarching government plot and it was just very shoddily done very cheaply done and i never and i could not wrap my head around the fact that all of a sudden it gets released on google and then all of a sudden it blows up and develops a cult following and the one thing that gets me in this and it's not the fact that gil bellows is serviceable he, he does a serviceable job i mean that's what he does it's a pretty it's pretty standard you know his standard hero standing against the alien invasion kind of thing charlie sheen's you know a number of other actors have done it before and this and Isabella Rossellini serves a purpose. I mean, and a legendary actress. Don't know why she was in this movie. I mean, it sucks. Money. money. I guess it's the, it's a money thing. Yeah. But Judd Nelson. He really needed the money. What? But I mean, yeah. But even when you need the money, you can still give a good performance. And Judd Nelson is amazing. Is he though? Yes, Judd what, Nelson is where? an amazing in actor. In what? Since when? It's the Breakfast Club, dude. Okay, I was gonna say if you say the Breakfast Club, that was fucking thirty, almost forty years ago. He's still a magnificent actor, but I don't Prove know it. what happened with this. Prove it. Really? You said the Breakfast Club. That was forty. We're not, we're not doing ago. a Treat Williams this time. We're not going to do it no, again. We're not doing a Treat Williams, Judd Nelson, because we have Trent, we have Treat Williams next week. That's true. But the point <laughs> is, the point is, I've seen Judd Nelson in a handful of things, and he was good in the Breakfast Club. That's it. It wasn't like he's got he's this huge IMDb page full of just fucking great performances. He was shit in Boondock Saints 2. Total fucking garbage in that movie. I can't think of the last time I looked at Judd Nelson and was like, wow, that was a great performance. Okay, hang on a sec. Hang on. We're hang 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 on. on, Hang on. Obviously, Breakfast Club. He was great in that one. Um, St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire, he was good. Then, uh, yeah, Air- but if he wasn't there, if it was somebody else in his role, I don't think we're going to Airheads. Oh. Um, he was uh, in Airheads for like 10 minutes. New Jack City. Five minutes. Oh, get, stop. <laughs> again, stop. again, you could take you could take Judd Nelson out of Airheads and put in Treat Williams and got the same fucking performance. He was good in bad, he was good in bad kids go to hell. Um, holy shit! Like I, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm looking at his filmography, and, and James, it's like, James Holly Bob Strike Back. He, he was great in that. Oh, for <laughs> fuck's sake! <laughs> Fuck this asshole! Let's go back to the station house, Cornell. That's a drunk. 
I mean, look, here's the thing. I'm not saying that he's a terrible, he's terrible, terrible, but he, he's there's nothing really memorable about Judd Nelson. He's a forgettable character. I Jin think Jinju prefers his Nelson's Craig T shaped. Craig T shaped. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing about Judd Nelson, and I'll be honest, he's been writing the Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club was what his fourth film, and it's I love the Breakfast Club, and it's to me, it's John Hughes' like best movie. And he was good in there. I will, he, I will he, say, Judd Nelson yes. was really good. He really fleshed out his character. He was. He was really good, and he kind of just wrote it. I'm not going to blame him. I'm not going to blame him because you get a lot of these guest spots and all this other kind of stuff and a lot of that stuff equals a lot of money and you just make a living doing it. So I'm not going to blame him one bit for writing that. But ride the I John totally, Hughes train all the way to the bank. I mean, yeah. I'm not... I, a, can, I can see why he would do this movie. Sure. I can see why I he would just, do this movie too because he fucking needs to eat. He was just so over the top. And it was not like it's like you could have played a little thing like, oh, you're not human. And yeah, I get it. But it was just like, wow, you things really don't really know what it's like to be human at all. It's just like it's just so <laughs> obvious. It's like Okay, it's like, come on. Like, I, a little bit more. <laughs> when I watched this, I initially when I first saw him, I thought, oh, this is discount Judd Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't wrong. <laughs> you weren't wrong. <laughs> discount Judd Nelson's performance. So I thought it was really, really weird. And this is what brought up the, the uh, really weird that it, it suddenly blew up on Google once it was released on the internet and then developed a kind of developed a cult following. And this brings up a really interesting question because this particular movie, despite all of the problems that it has, and as a filmmaker and as, as a writer, I would have been like, I would have been personally, I would have been embarrassed to turn this thing in. I would be, this is, uh, I don't even know how this stuff gets passed. A director, I would have, Eugene would have, if I had written this, Eugene would have read this and be like, what the fuck is this? What, what is we this need to thing? have a talk. Yeah. We, Jail, we, are you I, would, I would come into the office, there'd be a fucking like, intervention. Yeah, right. It was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Jail, blink twice if you need help. <laughs> so, but given all of a sudden it blew up, that, that, that made me add. So I started thinking about it. Cult following films. This movie has a cult following. It has a cult following as a result of the internet. A very like they released on the internet, and a small group of people kind of banded around it. And we're kind of like, and hail this video, like blah blah blah, whatever, whatever. And but then I started realizing we don't really have cult movies anymore. It's tough. It's it's really hard because for, for instance, this movie people who like cult and underground films go out searching for them. Right, and that's, that's why, yeah, yeah, they they want that hidden gem. And when you look at a cult film, cult films aren't necessarily looking for good films. Cult films are looking for entertaining films, and this no. has some entertaining moments. It's a moments, yeah, it's cheesy and the special effects or whatever, but it's a fun movie to watch. Like I said, crack open a couple of beers and we can have a drinking game of watching it. That sounds like that sounds fun. Yeah, on it. So, so I can understand how it can have that cult following looking for something like that. Whereas with today, there's so much content out there. People are only looking for these straight good films, and the which problem, is fine. You know, yeah, you're right. That's that's one. That's one of the issues with it. But the, the second issue with cult films, what really makes a cult film a cult film? And JL and I were talking about this uh, the other day. 
we were talking about like the last cult film that I can remember was Boondock Saints. And you know what I mean? The first one. And what made that a cult film was the distribution on it, the way that it came out, right? It was a limited release. It was in like two fucking theaters for two days or some bullshit like that. And then it went to, went to DVD sales and it was through DVD sales. Well, now who does DVD sales really? I mean, who buys Blu-ray and DVDs now? You're like extreme collectors and whatnot, but all this shit is going to go streaming. Right. It's easily available. You don't have to really help well, us. I guess some of you do, but that was always kind of the the way that like cult like underground bands, you know what I mean? You look at the way that the underground uh you know, the bootleg tape trading used to happen back in the eighties. It's kind of the same thing when we're talking about film, you know. People used to have like their their oh man, have you seen this nineteen eighty four film called Nail Gun? No, fucking hell, I got it on tape. Let's check this shit out. Or have you seen this movie that, you know, well, I got it on VHS. You know, that's that's kind of how it happens. Nowadays, it's, oh, man, did you, yeah, I saw it. It sucks. Yeah, because on top of that is when you're part of that fan base that goes out searching for the underrated movies, you honestly, you come across more bad movies than good movies. Sure. You come right. across bad, 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 bad. And then when you finally hit that good movie, that movie that surprised you, like, say, Fight Club, for example, with Fight Club bombed in theaters. And then you go, see, so you're like, oh, man, this is amazing. You cling on to that, and you want your friends to go watch it. And at that time, there's it was so much harder to get content out. You just show up at your friend's house with a DVD, and it's like, dude, check out this movie. I watched it. It's right. awesome. And then you sit and watch it versus, like, streaming, where you have millions of movies that just drop your hat. Right. See, and that, that's, that's where I fell down, or fell on it, is that the difference is this is like if you go back like you know originally the original system was you you make your movie it gets distributed by a particular company they get a theatrical run it you know runs in theaters and that and then it leaves theaters and then that's it and then it pretty much sits on the shelf until it can be released for home for home entertainment for home video even back then it was either a beta or it was on uh, VHS and then of course right. laser so on and so forth so there was a lull there there was a period of time when the film was not accessible except by those who would, who managed to catch it in theaters right. and then had to sit and wait sometimes years for it to finally be released for home video. And then they could, then they could get their own copy and bring it home. So nowadays yeah, it wasn't until the mid to late nineties where it started to become more of a system. Like you'd see it, it would be in a theater, it would run the theater. Then six weeks after it stopped, you could get the DVD. There's the DVD. What that, what right. that become, once it became more, uh, Standard, uh became yeah. more cost-effective, People right. then can go, okay, we can do the DVD run like weeks after it leaves theaters and we can maximize our profits if we have to wait a long time. Right. But now, and even then, you could still have a cult following because then theater word of mouth would travel and then people would pick up the DVD, but only those people that were enticed by it and then they'd see it there and then they'd right. share it amongst their friends. So we still have that kind of a lull period from where the critical reviews need to get out and reach the public. Nowadays, this does not exist. It's instant. It's yeah. instantaneous. Nowadays, Hell, nowadays, we can have a review on the film, that you, the, the the your digital download. You can leave a review on Amazon right. or Netflix. But, or and now Netflix. you can have a, you can have a theatrical release, a DVD or a or Blu-ray release, and a streaming release simultaneously. Right. So now you could do it like bam, and the movie is all out there. But the big thing was is streaming, and what it is is that essentially what Eugene was bringing up, all the movies get dumped to streaming. And so now instead of hearing about something from either the critics or whatever, you have to go hunting for what you want. And now everybody's giving their own reviews. And I think people have begun to like not begin to not really trust reviews because not, I mean, kind of as a rule of thumb, 
don't put a lot of stock into it because these are not critics. These are consumers that are basically giving their own personal opinion on it. Whereas I will not trust a consumer review as I will trust like a Roger Nieber, a Roger Ebert, a Roger Nieber review, or sorry, a Roger. Ebert I don't know, review. man. I don't know. Cisco Nieber and Roger Nieber, those guys were, I think they were too highbrow. Yeah, I, I think so. Specifically them, but even when you talk about reviews, what do you see now on trailers? The Rotten Score Tomato. This is scored fresh, right? Yeah, eighty-five percent. Right. Blah, 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 whatever, whereas movies in the middle of the pack are they don't score well, you don't see it on there. And also now what you see in trailers is quotes from critics. The most insane thing ever. This is, right. this is creepy versus trailers 10 years have that on it. So yeah, they didn't. We want to hear other people's perspective before you might, we go into it. Sure, you might have heard like, oh, this got two thumbs up from Cisco and Eber. That might That might be, you might hear that. But yeah, generally speaking, you didn't have there was no rotten tomatoes back then. Right. You didn't get the it's, fresh that, it's, that, it's that lack of downtime that I think has changed the landscape too, of it. Yeah. So now, now it's no I, I don't think that or maybe maybe what it is is that cult films, like how they become cult films, it's just changed. They you know, they right. we can still get them, but it's good that like how it comes about is gonna be different. And yeah, so think about thinking about filmmaking in general. Uh it used to be a rich person's game you had to have money to be able to make a film you know what i mean because if you think about what it costs to get a good film camera and then film stock right and with everything going digital now and you know hell i'm able to edit a film right here right back here in my own house i don't need some big huge sound studio i don't need all this shit i can do everything i need to do right back there eugene has a sub ten thousand dollars setup that he can go out and film a feature-length film Oh hell! I, I remember working on projects that had that they had to have the dark bag out so yeah. that they could change the film reels, film reels and, yeah. and protect it from the sunlight. I, I remember working on a few projects when that was still a thing, um, long time ago. Like we're talking, this is like oh two and oh three. I think it was like that, and it was like the last. Oh, I has, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen it since. And I've been on a number of projects, and I still I haven't seen like you right. know, they bust out the bag to because we got to develop the film and get it all set, so we have to protect it. Right. So, I mean, the the point I'm trying to make is that it's much easier to produce yeah. a film. You have a lot of like content is just exploded because how you got people are shooting films in their fucking iPhone. Yeah. You know, so content is just it's out there. There's a lot of it. So that is in itself another reason why it's so difficult to have the cult following the cult status. It could be something that's cult film worthy, but because it, the 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 genre or the medium is just so oversaturated it's tough to right. sift through all that stuff it, it really is because it's instead of getting like that the one man it just somehow had the bad timing in the theaters or just bad when you think about the films of the 90s because it took so much money to make those films it, usually you had like a certain standard on it, but you have people who they'll go and they'll buy a $200 camera and go, I can do a feature film and you can get it on Amazon prime. I've seen it. Yep. And if you, it, and people don't want to scroll through films that are just that bad. I'm not talking about like, Oh, bad movie theater, but I'm talking about films that are like, oh, Hemlock. Yeah, oh, hot <laughs> Even the room has a certain level of production quality. That I, I did not hit her. Out. I did not. I did not. <laughs> so uh, Aaron says, if jail calls 2003 a long time ago again, I may kill myself. It was a medium time ago. <laughs> it was a medium, yeah. I guess. 
<laughs> almost 20 years ago. Oh, God, that made me feel old. That made me feel old just saying that. And I see Charlie Welch has joined the chat. Good to see you, Charlie Welch. Charlie. Another one of our amazing supporters. And, of course, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Uh, good to see you. And Extra J is in the house. Good to see you, Extra J. Thanks so much for being here. We do appreciate it. So I'm uh, and and uh, Raven Darkstar brings up some of us can't do streaming, and that's true. Yeah, streaming, yeah, is, true. Is, streaming is still not a ubiquitous option for for you know people. So they rely on DVDs, and because I mean the theaters, honestly, I think theaters are going the way of the dodo. Do, running a theatrical, do, having a I doing a theatrical aside, aside from just like the the sit and eat, like which is a combination restaurant and movie. I think your classic cinema, I think, unless it's like the maybe even the dollar theaters, but I think that they're kind of going away. They just I, can't compete. I see. I, I disagree on it depends on the type of movie. I believe that like yeah. 80% of films can be streaming, whatever. I'm not going to see. But when you have certain movies, uh, like one, for example, I'm really excited to see the new Top Gun movie that's coming out. That's a movie, real IMAX cameras mounted in real F-18s. I'm going to go to the theater to see that. There's, I want that yeah, theater experience. There are some, there are some films you got to see. You got to see some of these movies in the theater and get that, you know. But I mean, I can kind of understand where Jail's coming from too, because I've got a home theater right upstairs, big screen television, surround sound, and all that shit. It's all good, and you know, all we don't have, you know, the popcorn machine, but whatever. Um, and it's always taken me a lot to go to the fucking theater anyway. But I understand what you're saying. I thought the whole pandemic was going to just put be like the final nail in the coffin for movie theaters. But I think uh, I was 100% incorrect because I think the pandemic was what actually saved movie theater business. Because what was the first thing that the majority of people did once restrictions started releasing? Went to the fucking theater. It went to the movie. Well, the movies. Yeah. Yeah. I think the movie, the the theater business has the the, the pandemic to thank for the, you know. And here, the, and here, I would have thought that that we would have seen an, an uptick in drive in the drive-in experience, right? Which is an experience that I miss. I think uh, that, that there's so there are still a few drive-ins around town. There's one in Dallas, one in Fort Worth. Uh, there's a couple across uh, across the states. Uh, you know, drive-ins in the summertime here in Texas are just a no-no. But you know, whatever. <laughs> It's 150 degrees. Let's go to the drive-in. Why? I can go to the fucking theater with air conditioning. <laughs> well, plus, on, on top of that, when you talk about like the theater experience, it's so easy to get distracted when you, even yep. it's like you can have a home theater, but you have your computer, you have your phone, yeah. you versus yeah. when you're in, in an actual theater, you're not going to open up your phone. You're not. There is no distraction. No, but somebody else is, and it's going to make me want to throw them down the fucking stairs. I will <laughs> fucking yell at them. I have. I oh, yes. I, I fucking mm. pisses me off when someone in the phone in the middle. Oh of man, I, I think it was Harry Potter. One of the Harry Potter's, like the seventh or the the first, second. I can't remember. It was one of the like I think it was seven part one. And we're in the theater, and I'm there with my girlfriend at the time, and we're watching this, and this kid's back there yakking on his phone. I look back and say, hey, hey, do me a favor. Put the phone away. Be quiet. Let us enjoy the movie, please. I was polite with him the first time. Turn back to the movie. Not but two minutes later. I said, dude, if you don't shut the fuck up, I'm going to throw you off this fucking rail. I turn back to the movie. This little bitch gets up and goes gets fucking security. What? <laughs> 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 oh, and I see Night Noodlers join the chat. Good to see you, Night Noodler. Thank hey, you so much Noodler. for being here, bud. 
So, but yeah, I think that the landscape has changed a little bit. Um, maybe cult films uh, haven't gone away, but definitely how they are made has definitely changed. Um, but then again, that comes with the advent of new, uh, you know, cheaper technology and getting the product to people faster. Um, it, I would say the, you know, the, the, the days of the old, like, you know, the days of like, you know, the thing, how the thing became a cult film. Um, these, you know, these days are long gone. So, but cult yeah. films, I mean, you got to love them. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'd actually like to ask the audience, like, what's your favorite cult film? There's a lot of great ones out there. We talked about things like The Thing. Uh, we talked about even some other films that have come up like Starship Troopers, Donnie Darko, Fight Club. Um, these movies have just kind of come up. They didn't do well in theaters, but also had kind of a resurgence um, coming back. So what is your favorite cult film? There are a lot of good ones, mm -hmm. a lot, and some of them end up getting sequels because of the cult status. That's true. And then yeah. the sequels are terrible. Blue Dark Saints. <clears throat> what? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely let us know down in the comments below or in the live chat, of course, at weekendhorror at gmail.com. And I see a couple of them are popping in there. The Thing is definitely one of my absolute favorites. Yep. Um, I see. Uh, oh, Rodan Los Angeles said Miracle Mile, and Travis Brown said The Fifth Element. Really, really a cult film? I don't think it did well in theaters. Maybe I don't not. think it did well in theaters either, but I mean, it exploded home release. It did, and yeah. And then uh, Sarcasm is Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. I yeah, I know that. Donnie Darko ball. It made like half a million. It's theatrical release. It was really... It's, a, it's not a movie that you would think to go to the theater for. Yeah. It, was it had bad press. Yeah. yeah, and it and it got a sequel, S Darko, which was not very good. It, 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 yes, it, the sequel is so bad that yeah. probably you're the only person who knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Charlie Wolf says the crow. Um, yeah, I don't no, I don't think the crow was a. I don't think so because it had all that hype with the accident with Brandon Lee. With, 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 uh, yeah. So <laughs> I don't think that. I, don't, I think the crow had just had that going for it. Unfortunately. I think it probably would have been a cult film classic because I don't think anybody really gave a shit about that movie until that accident happened. It was kind of it kind of like lingered in culture though because it's still it like a staple today. Yeah. I mean we're getting we're getting a re a remake, reboot, remake. Is it a reboot or is it a continuation? I, I can't remember. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I think I think it it might be a remake. I think it's a remake. Uh, with Bill Skarsgård, so I guess we'll see. Oh yeah, I, did, I saw that that day cast. Yeah, just saw yeah. it. Yeah, kind of curious to see how it's going to work out. I hope Bill does not uh, let them do any kind of firearm play. <clears throat> Fucking hell! Wow. <laughs> on, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true, it's Bill. Johnny, what's the what do we have? For this? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up next, we've got the April 29th, 1981, the best year ever uh, film called The Beyond. Roll that beautiful film footage. Beyond footage? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's better. Don, don, don. Don, don, don. I love like the Ninja Gaiden esque freaking bass band <laughs> music that's going on there. I feel like you should be throwing some, you know, some stars and shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Beyond is a supernatural horror film directed by Luce, uh, Lucio Fulci uh, from an or origin, was it? origin story created by uh, some other Italian person who I can't, uh, Dardano Sacchetti. Yeah, spaghetti. 
Eddie Spaghetti wrote this, uh, starring <laughs> Katarina McCall and David Warbeck. Uh, plot follows a woman who inherits a hotel in rural Louisiana because, of course, it's got to be Louisiana, right? It's mm-hmm. It happens. Uh, that was once the site of a horrific murder. Um, and uh, as you saw, it's a gateway to hell because, you know, everything has to be a gateway to hell. Uh, and as you can also see, this shit, as Eugene would say, gets pretty fucking real pretty quick. <laughs> it, got, yeah. it, it, was, it was real out the gate. <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker said, no, we don't need any kind of expository bullshit. Let's jump fucking headfirst into this motherfucker. <laughs> I swear, I, I love, I love uh, Fulci when he, I, I love his style. Whenever there's something graphic, we need to have, we need to show. Okay, it's oh, always yeah. like boom, and the camera's just like right in there, up in there, porn angle. Yeah, that it's like, those, what's the closest we can get? <laughs> <laughs> it's like stick, just stick the camera right in there. Yeah, dude, can, I mean, and uh, you know, it opens up the the whole sequence when it opens up, and the the warlock dude is getting like whipped to death with like chains and shit, and then they yeah. lie all over his ass. He's like, ah, oh, and yeah. it's just like, and then oh, they, they crucify him. And then they dump Lyle from it. He's just like melting and shit. It's just like every time the chain hits, bam, and the camera's right in there. Bam, yeah. camera's like, I oh, fucking yes. love it. How it just, yeah. just drives the camera in there and sells the whole thing. Because if, if you went, if you stayed wide on a lot of these things, they probably would look kind of goofy. They would look but when you, when you get in super close and you can only make out like specific details that rooted that, that sells it, I think it was a solid way. Fulci found a really brilliant way to overcome the limitations of the effects at the time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love the practical effects in this film. I got to say, mm-hmm. even as goofy as they can be, as some of them look, I, I love practical effects. The, love the, practical effects. the eye, the, it was, I was like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's not, that's a, but it's still graphic as fuck. And yeah. I was like, that's like, not how this works. Yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still gruesome. <laughs> gruesome. <laughs> because the thing is, like, I can always, I can always appreciate the effort of practical effects. Yes. Even if it's yes. like this, the, you can tell it's a dummy head and all sorts of kind of. There's still something about this real, like, bad practical effects are better than bad CGI effects. All oh yeah. Day, every day. Well, yeah. I mean, especially when zombies. I mean, the same with they're crucifying him. Yeah. When they have the camera above it, they gotta zoom in on it because they have to see. You can tell. His hand, his, the, the actor's like the live hand is like sticking out of the ground, and then the the arm, the like arm, but like the arm is like slate gray, and like that the live hand is there. It's like oh, that was a person. Then it, I mean, you have problems like that, but I mean, what you gotta work, you gotta you gotta work with what you've got, right? And the blood effects were impressive. I, I really dug where where uh, Fulci went with this, and he's and he does, and the camera never shies away, which you know it forces you. You you gotta get in there, and despite. You may be able to go like that doesn't look real, but your brain still has to. Yes, watch it. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to look away, you got to look away from the entire movie. So because you, yeah, I mean, that's all that's going to fill the uh, fill the frame. So I like that he forces the audience to get in there with him, and you know you can't look away lest you miss something or you know defeat the purpose of watching a movie. Right now, one thing that's really cool: this movie was the second in the trilogy, so Fulci's like Gates of Hell trilogy, and a lot of you know. Fantastic directors have their kind of trilogies they do or their thematic trilogies. Uh, Carpenter did it as well with his Apocalypse trilogy. Um, Baba has done it as well, and um, the other the other fantastic um, Argento Argento did it as well with his Three Mothers. So this one is part of the Gates of Hell trilogy. The Beyond was the second of those, and uh, fo- this was uh, uh, followed by um, House House by the Cemetery. 
which is one of my favorites. I absolutely love it. And I it'd been a long time since I've seen the Beyond, but going back and watching this, I had forgotten how good this was, how particularly you know nuanced this movie was. And there was something that I picked up on. If you go back, and I kind of wanted to get your guys' take on this, and I don't know if this is a cultural thing, okay? It's nothing bad about this. It's just a, a deep inspiration I found in Italian horror. If you go back and you look at Baba's work, you go at uh, Diodato's work, you look at Fulci's work, you look at any of these major, especially the major horror directors. Throughout this movie and throughout House by the Cemetery and I think, and if I remember correctly, City of the Living Dead, which came before this one. And looking at all of these movies, there is a distinct kind of, I would say, influence of medieval Christianity in either it's in in the the in the set pieces, in the architecture, in everything they said that there's in the ways that things are caught with both light and shadow and color, and there's evocative imagery throughout that pretty much speaks to the ancient cultural aspects of ancient of like i would say of, of italy of ancient rome so we know just from history alone that italy is steeped in the history of obviously the vatican and the roman empire mm-hmm. and there are certain and of course medieval christianity you have the works of like um uh are, um, you, you, you said a name and I, and I totally just lost it uh inferno um dante Alighieri. dante Alighieri. so and i've noticed this throughout all of these films and is that just me or because I think is it lends itself to the horror genre so beautifully. But I think it's always well, I mean, when we're talking about it, the but... divine comedy, when you're talking about the divine comedy, that fucking if you go back and look at the inferno portion of that, that's really fucking scary shit. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's one of the oldest Christian horror novels of all time. I mean, why not go back to that? Why not continue to draw from that? Why not continue to draw from Vatican? where you know you supposedly have the city of the dead underneath vatican city and absolutely that kind of shit when you're talking about spiritual whatnot and who's that we go back to the big bad daddy of you know god versus the devil i mean why not use what's already there i mean there's a lot of shit that's there there's a whole bunch of source material that you can just kind of pick and choose from why not beat that dead horse not to mention the fact of how how much access you have to it we think of oh if we want to go to vatican we got to get a plane and all sorts of kind of it's a lot of effort but i mean imagine if you grew up like next next door yeah where you could just walk out in st peter's square right, right? You can this see, is an italian horror film yeah you can yeah. see all that stuff that's just that's just ah, yeah that's the backyard Dallas, and, that's, that's, and that's what's it. interesting about like, the vast majority of italian horror you know going back and like kind of looking at what these are about if you're looking at what they're uh especially italian horror you're looking at things like you know aspects of like which like basically it was aspects of medieval Christianity and the concepts of eye for an eye and hell and heaven and God and the devil and demons and like this. But you also have things like witchcraft and supernatural like ghosts and possessing entities. But then you also have aspects where they will take the take aspects of Christianity or Catholicism and they will twist it. They will pervert it like into very much the cannibal horror films mm-hmm. and all of these take this kind of uh, i found that even in those even in like cannibal holocaust and zombie and i've discovered in uh cannibal ferox that there is still a lot of imagery within these that hails that takes from this cultural experience of ancient rome and uh, and ancient italy in the, this time and i think that only really only the italian directors have been able to kind of like master that and i think it's because they're immersed in it 
I mean, that's what you grew yeah. up in. Like, you know, like they're immersed in it and that's their, that's right, their yeah. environment. And it translates over, over into, um, it translates over into their, into their uh, horror films. But in any other ones, even the spaghetti Westerns, if you look, and it's not so much because they're trying to convey like the old West. So you're not going to get a lot in the set design, but in the caricatures mm-hmm. and the way, and the, and the way people move and the way people, you know, distinguish themselves into the camera and to each other. You will see aspects of those characters, those biblical characters, throughout these, and I found that to be incredibly. Uh, I, I guess it was the first time I, I picked up on this, and found it was like, wow, there's some really deep inspirations there, and you can really only find that in Italian horror, which kind of I think raises it, in my opinion. I mean, you just you think about it, you write and you write about what you know, you create from what you know. So if you're if this stuff is in your backyard. And these are the stories that you're you're going to be told. They're going to, you're going to focus way more on things like the Bible and the religion and stuff like mm-hmm. that when you come from, regardless on your actual religious belief if that's such yeah. a part of your faith or not. It's so in your face that it's going to you're going to draw inspiration from. It. It's going to affect your storytelling. It's right. just like certain things. A lot of Louisiana filmmakers will do stuff on like voodoo culture because that's what they right. grew up over there so you know, it's just, using using lafayette as like a back as like a backdrop right is a constant exactly. right. yeah on it so i mean that's, that's what i think that's why it doesn't surprise me at all that you would see a lot of this context from so aaron brings up a point is like he says then again is it just resource filmmaking and i think that's a combination of it you use what you've got but as far as writing goes and shooting you know, like in shooting you know like making telling stories you tell what you know write what you know don't write about stuff that you don't know because then you're going to be making up on the fly and trying to like trying to express things that you really have no concept of. Write what you know. Write about places that you know. I can tell you in the stuff that I've written, there are area, there are places, or there are lo- there are locations, there are characters that are in like the scripts I've written and the and the stories that I've written that take you know personal inspiration. You know, this personal inspiration from my from my experience. It was either a house I used to live in, or it was a person that I used to know. Or it was a thing that I saw at one point, and I've incorporated sure. it into the story. Yeah, and so absolutely. you write what you know. But that's where that's where, especially scary, scary stories and horror films. That's where that shit comes from. It comes right. from your irrational fear of your bed. Oh, why am I afraid of my bed? Well, because when I go to sleep, and it's some fucking knife wielding murderer kills me, you know, chases me and kills and whatnot. You know, that's where. That's where good horror films or good horror stories are born. It's from your your just everyday everyday fear, whatever you were whatever you were afraid of as a kid. You know, I was afraid of this or I was afraid of that. Let's make a story out of it. And you know, why was I afraid of? Well, because maybe I was afraid of because it's just where good good storytelling comes from. Yeah, and if you think based off of your fears, you grow it up and say it's such a religious area. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna play into some of your fears because there's something scary. There is something scary about things that you cannot just destroy in earthly. You can't shoot it. You can't blow it up. You can't, if it's some demon, some the devil, angel, whatever, that's going right. to supersede any of that. You're actually helpless against a demon. With the demon in the context of, like, say, Christianity, there's nothing you can do. Right. Except, you know, pray and put it into God's hands. And hopefully Jesus comes down with a sword of fire and. <laughs> Ta-da-da! And do nothing. Nothing. Oh shit. <laughs> and I get the sarcasm because ex-Catholics make the best religious horror because they have, they have a firm grasp of of what it is and what is scary about no, it, how to twist it, 
<laughs> oh man and I th- uh, and looking at this and whether it's you know whether it's a combination of resource filmmaking you know you shoot what you know like look for architecture that you're familiar with that you know you know how to shoot it look at you know yeah. stories that you know how to tell and stories that are steeped in what you were raised in or what you were familiar with growing up and I think um, Fulci had a grasp of this that lends itself, especially in this trilogy, in the, these, in the, in the Beyond, House by the Cemetery, uh, City of the Dead, Fulci had a grasp of this. I think actually, I would say better than than his contemporaries. Whereas each one had their own level of genius. There was a poetic, I would say, almost new. There, there was a poetic nuance that Fulci brought to his uh, brought to his films, where he could enter, where he could have scenes of extreme visceral brutality and gore. And, uh, juxtaposed against some of the most sublime imagery and evocative imagery. I loved that sequence of her driving up the, uh, the, the that highway through the keys, of her driving up that, and then the girl with the, the, the blind girl with the dog standing like square in the middle of the road, and then not even reacting when the car's like, like right in front of her. I, and just the, the lead up to that, and her reaction is like, is this person like what, you know, I love that whole sequence. And it was beautifully shot. Oh, well, see, and, mm-hmm. and this is the thing that I really love about like so like Italian horror is you'll get the graphic, you'll get the stuff that you can't look away, and then they'll lay it on top of beautiful cinematography. And right. I'm not talking about the way like just the gore is shot, but I'm talking about just overall color scheme. Like you said, yeah. the backdrop on it. So it's this it's this weird duality in terms of you have some of these beautiful shots beautiful like Suspiria to me is one of the best shot films ever mm-hmm. these beautiful cinematography and use of color but then you get this gory ass with that hits on top of it and so it's kind of a clashes in a good way and that's it, one that's one of the things I've really appreciated with the talent. it kind of encompasses I would say both life itself and and I would say the religious experience that many you know you could say oh, there are many people would argue there are many aspects of religion many aspects of Catholicism that are they're innately beautiful just the, uh, the 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 like the colors and the and the spectacle and the you know all of that just has an inherent beauty to it. But then there are some if you dive deep, there's some really nasty graphic shit within that, and you have to take them both. You have to have both in order to have the whole thing. Life is the exact same way, and you can say that to any real you know, life experience that life is essentially long stretches of boredom. You know, maybe with with extre- with extreme you know moments, kind of like you know jumping in there from time to time, and I like that they that they expressed it that way because it's kind of like the human experience there. Long stretch, you know, like long stretches where we try to find the absolute best in everything they were doing, but nothing's really happening, and then all of a sudden, bam, something crazy happens, and then we got to deal with this, and then we move on to the next moment. It's war and it's peace, back and forth, back and forth, and it never stops. And I think that, and I, just by going by this trilogy alone, I think Fulci had a real grasp on this, both as a filmmaker and a story, as a storyteller, and recognize how to that this narrative plays across no matter what country you're in. This narrative is recognizable, and I think that's why Italian horror has really lasted uh, and it's been as profound as it was. Not just for its graphic depictions of violence and blood and guts and you know all that stuff, but in the way it was shot, just like you said. Um, Argento's Three Mothers trilogy was brilliant and beautifully shot with, you know, the way things were framed. Same thing with Fulci. 
the way the beyond is framed, his character placements within the scene, the way things were lit, everything conveys something. And I just think that it, it puts it above and beyond. Huh? Yeah. Uh, okay. I like what Roden the last name has to say. <laughs> Long stretches of boredom punctuated by horror. So sex with jail? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much for his life. You gotta get the heart up. You gotta get the heart rate up Whoa. somehow. Whoa, <laughs> jail. Whoa. Not that kind of screen. No, I said you gotta get the heart. Yeah, yeah. That's what you said at first. Yeah, that is what I said. That's not where I thought you were going. <laughs> I said you gotta get the heart rate up somehow. No, that's not what you said first. That was what you corrected yourself. First, oh, you gotta get the heart up first. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Look He's at not his face. wrong. <laughs> Oh, ouch, but we don't have one. Sarcastic says, City of the Dead had a clear plot and direction. The Beyond seems like a cash grab written on the fly after yesterday's dailies. <laughs> which is which is odd because um, the, the lead actress who was in all three of these, and I, I think originally she wasn't going to be in, she wasn't going to be in the Beyond, but then she decided that she was going to. And she that's, um, do what now? And she needed a paycheck. She needed the paycheck. <laughs> um, Catherine McCall. And that she said this one was her favorite of the three to shoot. So I can see that because this one looked like it was a lot of fun because of all the, you know, the guts and, and the, 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 you know, the special effects and whatnot. I'm not saying the others didn't have it. This one just looked more fun. I mean, squeezing the guy's face and the eyeball goes this way. But that was cool. <laughs> It was like he smushed it out of his head. It's weird. Yeah. It's like, like, yeah. Hey, Dave Cernick. Dave Cernick's in the chat. What's up? Good to see you. Thank you so much. And, of course, I saw CPM. Good to see you as well. Says that is not what it see? sounds like, JL. See. <laughs> <laughs> they heard it, too. <laughs> I stand by what I said. The second time. <laughs> this is another example where the low res of VHS can improve a film. Yep. And I would agree. I would agree. It, led, it definitely the old style definitely lends itself to that. Gotta get the heart up. Gets tougher with age. Thank you very much, Charlie Welch. <laughs> I appreciate that. Go back and read what now. Charlie Welch said. That's what we all heard you say. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, do we really want to end the good time we're having to go to the film we're going to talk about next? We we have one more to talk about. All right. I mean, there's not that much time left, so we're not going to spend too much time on it. Thank God. So before we get to that train wreck of a film, I would like to ask all of you what your favorite Gates of Hell entry is. Uh, you got three to choose from, so let us know down in the, down in the comments, in the side chat, or we can horror at gmail.com. You, you got City of the Living Dead. City of the Living Dead. You've got uh, Beyond. House, oh, the Beyond and House by the Cemetery. House by the Cemetery, yeah. So. Before going back and rewatching this, a House by the Cemetery was my favorite. I I loved House by the Cemetery. I thought it was brilliant. Um, this one, I think, I mean, but this one's now close. So I just like to say, road no last name. If your Fulci lasts more than six hours, <laughs> <laughs> I got me a Fulci on. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah, <laughs> Travis Brown's got some love for House by the Cemetery. Absolutely. All right, so we got one more to talk about. So let's see if we can power through this one. 
because it, I'm trying. I don't want us to end on a down note, but uh, let's let's just find out. You know, here we go. So this one released April 30th, 2010, and it's the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's check out that yeah. trailer. Ah. Ah. Johnny's like, Ugh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I mean, okay. So doing a quick, doing just a quick breakdown on this one, just, you know, because that's what we do here. So directed by Samuel Bayer, a uh, screenplay written by Wesley Strick and Eric Hesserer and uh, starring Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger, Kyle Gallner, Rooney Mara, Katie Cassidy, Thomas Decker, and Kellen Lutz. Um, all right. Obviously problematic. I will say this. The trailer is deeply misleading, and and whoever cuts that trailer, whoever cuts trailers like that, I actually got it. When I remember when I saw this trailer, I was kind of like, "Holy shit, this could be really good!" Because the trailers cut great, but oh, I went back and re- I, I hadn't seen it because this movie came out so long ago, two thousand ten, almost almost what twelve years ago, no, twelve years ago, and wow. This movie is fucking bad. It, this is bad on a whole different level because they try to recreate so many of the iconic shots and failed and failed, like pressing up against. Oh, that was, was that really was just bad it, CGI. That was really trash. bad. The blood killer where she like falls through like the ceiling. Was, was, it was terrible. So you, you recreate these shots, but you execute them poorly. On top of that, Tony, uh, Tony, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're about to shit all over this one. Yeah, the, the, the what, what, and I, and I, and this actually got me. I had to watch the two scenes side by side, and it was the scene when Nancy's in the tub. Yep. So, and then the the glove comes up, and then they're like that. The original Wes Craven one, that was brilliant. And it was not just how it was shot, because they're shot virtually identically, just the whole sequence. Yeah, but yeah. the difference was was Robert Englund. Because even in that moment, just the hand cut, just like it coming out and coming up towards her, and then the the knock on the door and then the and then the drop the drop away. The real slide just whoop. I don't know what Robert did, but just in the physical performance of his arm. And, and the way he controlled no. the glove in that was better than this. It's because nobody fucking asked for this. <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted this to be remade. Nobody. No, no, right. nobody asked for. And another thing is this: Wes Craven wasn't even consulted on this. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a bad. That's a that's a bad sign. It was, I mean, it, okay. The one thing that really aggravated me the most, despite the fact that they okay, they had planned something grandly different for this movie. And when you read up on it, you read it because you know you read about what the what the what the best intentions were. But then when the thing comes out, not to mention that the fact that there are there there's a, a scene or two that's in the trailer that did not make it into the final cut, which I always find super fucking annoying. The, the dude who the dude who's up on the deal and then he falls down and like that 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 didn't make it into the final cut which really pissed me off i don't i don't like that that's lazy in my personal opinion because then you're you it, it's it's deceptive 
But the biggest issue on this one is that when the movie came out and everybody shit on it, Robert Englund didn't like it. Nobody liked the movie when it came out. I like out. how Robert Englund, uh, how he was gracious about it, though. He did, He wasn't like, fuck. He wasn't like Doug Bradley and, uh, and uh, oh, God, Clive Barker. Uh, you know, whenever they're talking about Hellraiser, uh, the, the first non-Doug Bradley remake when Clive Barker said, this isn't even a stain off my ass. <laughs> and, I mean, Robert Ingram was like, well, you know, it, it's trying to do Jack and Joe Ailey. I really like him. He's a great actor. He's and, and, his casting. He was yeah. a big, he's a big proponent of his casting because of his physicality and the fact that he can convey deep emotions like that. Right. And you go by his filmography, Jack and Haley is extremely talented. He and is very, a very nuanced actor and very underrated. And that just goes to show how difficult it is to do a movie like this when you have such an iconic character like Freddy Krueger. And Robert Englund is, is Freddy Krueger. Right. There will never be yeah. anybody to do it anywhere near as good as Robert Englund. I think that's probably why he showed up and why Robert Englund showed up as Freddy in, in that episode of The Goldbergs. Because there's a, there's a sequence where the mom falls asleep and she has a dream and he shows up. And it's it doesn't turn into a horse, but he shows up. And that was kind of his way of doing, like, let's let's go out on a good note. Let's go out on it. Like, this is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. But the thing that got me, that really aggravated me, was that the filmmakers had all of these intentions when this movie came out. They had an idea for the look. They had the idea for what Freddie was going to look like, and they wanted to convey certain aspects. I thought, and I thought that what they were planning, the best laid plans I have ever heard for a remake, and none of them happened, and nobody addressed it after the fact. The well, only mean, sequence I think they managed to pull off, and without because they second guessed everything else, the script was second guessed, the casting was second guessed, and you know the, the everything was second guessed on this except for one scene. They wanted to the, the exploration of the micro nap thing, and they brought they they basically brought that in and just kind of like brought it into the movie as a thing because they wanted to do the camera effect of they wanted to do the effect of blending reality with the dream and shifting back and forth between that. Mm -hmm. which I thought was actually kind of cool. The idea that this is something that Wes Craven couldn't have pulled off back then. I would see it. That was, if there was one takeaway from this movie that is actually not bad, it's the idea of the micro sleep, because if you've ever stayed up for 24, 30, 40 plus hours, micro micro naps are a thing that will start kicking in. On that, so I thought like that was a really cool concept. Instead of having like, well, oh, you didn't know they were sleeping. There's some deep sleep, but that couple of five seconds, you're just close your eyes for a second. So I like, I really like that. But going back onto what the best laid plans are, oh, the best laid plans are is this: in filmmaking, you have three scripts. You have the script you write, you have the script you shoot, and you have the script you edit. Yep. And they're all different. They're all and as 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 filmmaker, it always starts grand because in your head and you're writing it, it can be here. And then you shoot, it comes here. Yeah. And then when you edit, it gets here. Yeah. Well, so the problem that you're talking about is a problem of lens, right? So when you're talking about it, this is not like writing a, a book. 
You know what I mean? Like when you write a book, most of the time it's you and your editor. That's it. You, you put out your first draft, which you all mean, you know, is going to be trash. Yeah. Your second draft, your editor is the, probably the one you really give to your editor. Your editor is like, no, this move, blah, 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 blah. And then you, you know, you know what I mean? when you put it out, it's generally only going to be two real influences with yours being the biggest influence on how the story is told. Now, when we're talking about filmmaking, you've got so many different avenues of lens that are going to happen through that. Lensing is going to happen throughout because you're going to have a writer, a director, a producer, an editor, and then actors. And you know what I mean? Some things affect certain people one way. This shot affects you. know what I mean? It's just so many different ways that this story is going to be altered or changed or influenced from page to screen right. that when you don't take that into account, when you don't have a clear cut vision of what you want as a writer, director, and producer, you're going to end up with a film like this garbage. And also on top of the fact that it's like this film hits this middle, it hits like a no man's land because it's not like a shot for shot remake of it, right. but it's not enough of its own to be just its own just, huge, just, just creation that just happened to use Freddy Cougar. It kind of gets in this middle. So it's like a, it kind of keeps nudging you like, hey, remember this great scene? Right. Remember this great scene? Well, yeah. Cool. What do you bring to the table? Oh, I don't have anything else. Nothing. That's all I've got. It, it also really aggravated me when I, it, it was really aggravating. I'll answer a question. Actually, I want to answer this question first is that um, Rodan LSN brought up, was it ruined in editing? Yes. Yes. This movie is edited atrociously. The, the pacing is all over the place. It takes too long in some areas. They, they, it's, they, it's almost, it almost gives has a feeling of a movie that doesn't really know what it wants to be. And I think that comports with what Eugene was saying is it doesn't want to know if it, if it wants to be the original or wants to be a remake. And it just because it keeps harkening back to the, you know, the the cool stuff that Wes Craven did, and then doesn't bring anything new to the table. The editing was atrocious. And uh, another thing that really got me was the plans for Freddie. The idea was to really the original idea was to really convey him as a burn victim. So they bring in like hundreds of photos of legitimate burn victims, really, really hard to look at stuff. And they sit down with the special effects crews like, we want to replicate this for this character to make him really look like this. And according to reports, and I, I can only say that this is what they reported, test audiences found Freddy too difficult to look at. It's, like, it, it's just, it's too hard. And they decided then to pull back, which is why we got the version that, that looks the way we look, where it's, where it's a lot in shadow. And they, they really focus on only kind of like a couple of like scenes. They don't really focus too hard, but otherwise they, they, they had a plan to go full bore and then they decided not to because, Oh, they, I guess politics or whatever, or trying to make as much money as possible. They wanted many, as many people to do. And of course, if you don't want to look at the villain, you know, it kind of defeats the purpose. I kind of get that mentality. I would have gone for broke. If you want to reinvent it and make it look different, bite the bullet and yeah. really redesign the character to make him fucking scary or make him so horrific that you're forced to look at it much like Fulci did. You're forced to do it in order to keep with the story, you know, at least have that visceral reaction bank on that. Right. I, I take I, that I, over I, this fucking bullshit that we got. It, yeah. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly. If, if somebody tested one of my films, they're like, Oh, the villain is too scary to look at, or he makes me sick looking at it. I want, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. That, that's why. That's why. I mean, and, and to kind of bring this home for us, that very first reaction when um, off that script I wrote. I don't want to spoil. I'm not going to spoil too much, but at the script I wrote, 
And then we turned it over to whoever's reading and whoever read it. They, and that person read it. And they came back and says, this scene in here is too much. We can't do It's like, we can't do this. And uh, Eugene knows what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> that this scene is too much. So I, I, I wrote a script and, you know, got it to Eugene. Eugene signed up. It's like, this is good. And we are going to, and we're going to put this forward. So he puts it out there. And then you remember last night I was talking with Johnny and Johnny said yeah, there was that lull period. <laughs> I think that this is what caused it because they read a particular scene in this, in this very graphic movie that I wrote. Oh, no, not at all. And they read this scene. It was like, we can't do this. And we can't I'm shoot like, this, JL. We can't shoot this. And I'm like, you sure as fuck can shoot this. You are too afraid to shoot this is what it is. And not that's us. not my not that, you. Not not no, you. Not us. Not us. We're yeah, not too yeah, afraid not to see this. You're like, go for it. They're too Get afraid in to there. Give me the score heavy angles. <laughs> They're too afraid to shoot it. And that's not my fucking problem. Because I want you want the visceral reaction. The worst reaction you can get from a horror audience is nothing at all. You oh, either wanted this, you either wanted to love it or you wanted to hate it, which is why malignant was good. Malignant was fantastic because people either fucking just could not stand that movie or they fucking loved it. I want Look, either one of them. You have to be uncomfortable every now and again in your movie watching experience. Not even just in horror, just in general. Yeah. In general, when you're looking at film, you've got to be uncomfortable every now and again. Right. Even in like kids' movies, there's some uncomfortable moments. Watership Down. Well, that whole thing is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> because, because the thing is, is this: you remember, you remember art that makes you feel. No matter right. what that feeling is—love, hate, yep. disgust, whatever—art right. that makes you feel is the art that stays with you. Why do people like Jodie Foster and The Accused? Because that was a graphic scene. Yes. If you've seen hard. The Accused, that is a very difficult scene to watch, and you'll never forget it once you've seen it. Monica Bellucci in Irreversible. Right. Yeah. That was that was rough. But look it, at but Hereditary. Hereditary. She didn't. <laughs> they didn't pull any punches with that motherfucker. <laughs> I, I mean, wish they did. <laughs> if you take something, if you take something like Terrifier on it, right. Regardless, people love that movie for the gore, or they hate the movie and they can't stand it. I don't know anybody who's ever watched Terrified and was like, eh, eh, "Okay, I guess it's all right." <laughs> no, it's the, the reaction is visceral in either direction, and that's what you're looking for. That's what you got to hit because that's how life hits. That I mean, that that's what you want. That's what you want to encompass. And I think that it was either I'm going to flat out say it. This was either ballless fucking producers who were not willing to go with you, who, who found the original ideas like, uh, no, who, who put money before craft. When Right, and the problem is, is this. I understand putting money before craft when you are making, when you're making movies at like the independent level. When you're making movies like our level, and there's certain things you have to, you know, you, the money's a serious thing. But when you are platinum, when you're like platinum dooms, dooms, and you are fucking Michael Bay, there is no such thing, or New Line Cinema, there is no such fucking thing as we need to worry about the money on this. This remake well, no, is the highest, like, this remake is the, despite our, our hate of it, is the highest grossing fucking movie of the entire Nightmare franchise. And that's just sad. They were sad. going to make the money anyway, but they did not trust well, but you have to understand this, right? So you've got to look at the business aspect, the business side of filmmaking, and 
there's a term that gets thrown around in filmmaking called bankability. What does it mean to be bankable? Is this movie bankable? Every production meeting you sit down with a studio, that's what, where is the bankability? Where, where can we bank on this film? That's a huge thing. There's a reason why Tom Cruise gets a lot of movies and gets a lot of money for the movies he does because he's considered very bankable. Right. You know, films. If we were making, if we were making a film and we went to Paramount Studios and said, "Hey, we got this movie we want to make. Tom Cruise is signed on to be the lead. We're going to get that film made." Yeah. Because we have that that star that that attachment to it. Now, if we take the same film and say, "Oh, I got this new guy," like mm, I don't know the risk versus reward, the bankability is not there. So when you take a look at a nightmare on Elm Street. If Jackie Earl Haley is your is your bankable actor in this, which he was, he was a most recognized actor in this, and you know he just happened to be the villain, but Freddy Krueger. Even Jackie Earl Haley isn't. He's not a, a for sure. He's not a guaranteed thing. You know what I mean? Right. So Michael Bay making this film or being part of the production squad of this this film i understand why they want to make sure that they're going to make some money on the on the return on this being cautious up front about putting too much money into it and not getting enough on the back end on the return and the, the, i get and i get that but this is where this kind of like rodan ellison brings up perhaps they edited it with the wrong audience in mind yes and i don't think it was just editing the entire production number one did not trust the fandom they but didn't trust the, the fandom and they didn't well, trust the ip thing. Hang on a second. If they trusted the fandom and trusted the IP, they never would have fucking. Re- they would never have done this movie because the fandom didn't want it. Nobody the, who's a fan. The fandom didn't want it, but you could still do it, and it could still be successful. Sure, sure. But again, to to the point you're saying, well, they should listen to the fandom. No, if they listen to the fandom, we wouldn't be talking about this. Movie yeah, that's now. true. Because they were like, no, we don't want this. If it doesn't have Robert England, fuck all. I don't care about it. We'll go watch it and shit all over it, which is exactly what the three of us are doing right now. Um, but. You take the risk, yes, but come on. At least okay. listen to what the fandom has said in the past. Well, you look at you look at say the producer. So you say you have Michael Bay. Michael Bay is going to be the biggest voice, despite who I can't remember who directed this movie. Michael Bay is going to be the biggest voice on the set. He's going to get whatever he wants because he has the mm-hmm. money. Right. And he doesn't have the horror background. No. In it. That's why it's like, well, maybe Friday the 13th. Exactly. He 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 doesn't. He made he made a name for himself in big blockbuster action films. Yep. That's and that's his, and Michael Bay knows how to make fucking money off of him. And notice he how does. Nightmare on Elm Street remake had an explosion in it right at the very yes. beginning. Or no, no, right, right. No, sorry, right in that sequence, right in the running sequence, yep. right. The boom explosions. <laughs> I you know I was counting the minutes in Friday the Thirteenth, two thousand nine. So when we were getting a fucking explosion, we finally got one. There it goes. You yeah. know he got, you know Michael Bay got his start doing the doing the got milk commercials. Yeah, start somewhere. I mean, that would make me want to blow shit up too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so Ronan Ellison brings up much like the Evil Dead remake, um, which it's really more of a, a continuation of the story. So it's like it's like a in the same universe kind of thing. Though yeah. he didn't like it, but it had its own voice at least, and it had a vision. And Fede Alvarez is an amazing director, and I fucking love the Evil Dead, the 2013 Evil Dead. I thought it was brilliant. The first five minutes had me just locked. I was like, holy fuck. Because it was so different from what Raimi had put forward. It's like, this one is going yeah. to be in your face, and it is going to be hard. Because well, like, he brought something new. 
right? Yeah, they and they had the opportunity to do that with it. To do that with this, there are some sequences in, that I actually like in this movie. Okay, there were some some cool things. You know, the way the the the, the focus the focus on Freddy's glove and the use of that in particular scenes. I liked what they did with that because it captured what we already love about the character, one of the most frightening aspects of the character, and they really played with it. And they said, like, you know, just that scene when he just, when he drops the glove on the pipes uh, in the drain and just begins to drag it, and then all of a sudden, and then it doesn't start at first, but then all of a sudden the, the sparks start going everywhere like that. And then and the sequence in the in the uh, the drugstore, I thought was was brilliantly shot. When, it, when she's flipping, when she's dropping between, and it, and it keeps switching back and forth, and I thought that was brilliant. You could see what they were going for, but then they they stutter stepped right before the end. But and then you try to recreate all the iconic stuff from the original, yep. and you do right. it poorly. Yep. Right. And that's the thing is, it's like how how can you have a film that has almost nothing of a budget and do execute all this stuff very extremely well, and then you have a movie that has the budget. And they can obviously do it much better. And they yeah, it's like they were trying to. I don't know. It's like they were like, well, "We need to. We got to redo the Tina scene. We got to redo that because that was an icon. That was that was groundbreaking, right? The rotating room and all that shit. It was it's like, still yeah. not accomplished well because the original one was phenomenal. Uh, well, the, the original wall, one. The ceiling, and, you know, it was just like, well, that was, again, it's because the original one was innovative. Right. Yeah. Nobody had really seen that before. Like, holy shit, how are they making that work? You know, they had to think, well, what we do is make this rotating room. We'll put the camera here, and then the room rotates, and it's just going to look great. You know, now, you know, they know this, and they're going to redo this, and we're looking at it thinking, well, this is not good. This is not good. It's just her on wires, and you yeah. can tell that she's on wires. Right. On it, and it's... And that's that's another reason is like you look you look at the front. Aaron, I'm series. sorry, Eugene, but Aaron brings up a great point. And then back to you, Eugene. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ab- absolutely. You talk about you cannot replace passion with a large budget, and that yeah. is 100 percent correct. And I don't see Michael Bay as a passion filmmaker. I see somebody who like maybe he was at one point as he got into it, but he makes money. And going back to like the love, the care, the craft, the extra time of like, hey, we have this little budget. How do we maximize? How do we get blood to fill a room? How do we get Freddy Krueger to press through? Because these are the effects that we want, but we don't have the budget. And now it's just throw CG on top of it. The only time Michael Bay has been personally invested in a film is when he let Will Smith drive his Ferrari in Bad Boys 2. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much as close as it gets. I mean... If you want, if you really want a treatment of what my, of, of the Michael Bay experience, just watch Epic Rap Battles of History, Steven Spielberg versus Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> it, it pretty much sums up the Michael Bay, the Michael Bay mentality beautifully at the end. It, it really, is really still does. the best <laughs> epic rap battle ever. It just ever. I'm not even a fan of epic rap battles of history. I'm just not. But that one will make me laugh every time. Uh, All right, so we got to ask the audience. Obviously, you know, not not a loved remake. A lot of problems with this one, and I think, you know, when it comes down to it, especially when you're going to do a remake, you got to take the fans into consideration. You got to take the fandom. You got to, and you can't stutter step. You can't be. You you can't when you're going something like this, which is why I'm concerned about the crow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with it. If they go full bore with no fear. 
I think we're going to get something solid. But the if they only do- thing I can say about this type of don't redo these movies. But if you got a wild hair or somebody's paying you to do it, fucking go for broke. Go for broke. Absolutely. You go, you go for broke. And this is the thing you go for broke. And if it means taking less money budget wise, so you can do the film that you want. I'd rather make a $1 million film that I want to do than a $10 million film that studio does that doesn't take risk and is yeah. all BS. Yeah. So, got to ask the audience on this. No, no. Given that, I mean, pretty much, you know, obviously Robert England is, England is retired from the role. Just like, you know, all the great actors that brought these horror icons to life are pretty, are, you know, pretty much retiring from them. But the question then becomes, is the Nightmare franchise dead? Now, this came out in 2010. The Friday 13th remake came out in 2009. But this one came out in 2010. And I think that, you know, is it dead? Or do you think they may come back to it maybe 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years later and try to redo it? I just found out that Lionsgate is planning a Leprechaun reboot. So even that franchise not going away. Given that kind of new information, I'm curious what do you think? Is the Nightmare franchise dead? Should they just leave this one alone? This we actually be- went out on a Robert Englund note when he did his little cameo in the Goldbergs. At least gave us one little bit of Freddy before he before he hung up the glove. The question is, do you think you think they'll they'll try and bring it back or is it done? And this which one would you prefer? To bed for at least ten years. So definitely let us know in the comments below here in the live chat, or of course at weekendhorror at gmail.com. And everybody's you know, I see a lot of let it die. Oh, right. and they, and they said for leprechaun, what the fuck? Why? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I, I say it's done. I saw I you hang it. your head. Yeah, <laughs> you, no. you you had a good I don't know. Okay, so hmm. they're gonna look. They're going to try and reboot Freddy again. It's going to happen. They're going to try and reboot Voorhees again. It's going to happen. If anything, this Michael Myers trilogy, this new one, new Halloween trilogy, has probably got studios thinking, hmm, maybe we can bring back Freddy Krueger. And, and Hellraiser is coming back. But it's going to be different. But, you know, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Tony Regime said it might be dead now, but the horror genre is well known for resurrecting mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's that? Where's that Malamute? Where's that Malamute picture? Uh, <laughs> I, I think if you're right, if if Halloween, if Halloween's making money and and Hellraiser comes back and Hellraiser makes money, we will yep. see. I think it's going to depend upon how the third Halloween film, how Halloween Kills, susses out. It's going to bank on that. <sighs> Well, I guess we're going to find out. All right. I think it's about that time. I think it is trivia time. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Alex still does it the best. He yeah. does do it the best. So, Eugene, you've got oh, – so, oh, this week we are giving away a limited edition uh, shirt number five. So, if you want to get your hands on that limited edition shirt number five, uh, then answer the – be the first one in the live chat to direct or sorry i saw direct because rodan ellis said let a different director tackle it cronenberg elm street that would be i would watch that yeah yeah i'm really looking forward to his uh crimes of the future uh with um beagle mortensen and yep. uh chris i know Kristen stewart's in it but i think she's a smaller role but it's, it centers around beagle mortensen and his wife um and leah sado i'm really looking forward to uh that one because it apparently it's brutal and hard to watch. 
as long as Kristen Stewart is on the receiving end of some of that brutality. <laughs> so mean. All I, right, I'm saying like I got to pull up the live chat. Kristen sure. Stewart, you may be one of the sweetest people in the world. I'll never know because you know whatever. But your acting is terrible, and I can't just let it pass. I'm sorry. Oh, leave her, leave her alone. Leave Kristen Stewart alone. No, act. <laughs> Better. Act, Act better. better. Do do good. Get gooder. <laughs> Get good. Work on your craft. All right. We'll do another so take, should... but this time better. <laughs> All right, everybody. Get Act. those Google fingers. Uh, stretch out. Stretch out those Google <laughs> fingers. Eugene, give him the uh, give him the trivia question for tonight. Uh -oh. The trivia question is: Writer Wesley Strick got the job to write the Elm Street remake after impressing New Line with his prequel script to what 1995 horror film? I'll say dun, it again. Dun. Writer Wesley Strick got the job to write the Elm Street remake after impressing New Line Cinema with his prequel script to what 1995 horror film? So he wrote a prequel script to a 1995 horror film. What is that film? I like what Tony Rodriguez says. Tony Rodriguez says, I've seen Planks act with more emotion. <laughs> <laughs> that blank wall in the background. Unfortunately, Christopher Music Channel, good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. I see you, Tina, as well. Thank you so much, Tina, for being here. Uh, Chris Durham says, The Hokey Pokey? Nah, close, but not really. Close, but not, uh, not even. And Angel Rivera, <laughs> nope, it's not Blade. Nope, not Cape Fear. But Cape you got, Fear. But you got, this new line, this new line, not Cape Fear. Mount, what, Mount wherever you are. What, 1995 horror film? <laughs> the Little Mermaid. Yeah, that was 94, but whatever. Close oh, enough. getting schooled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It was not arachnophobia. Right. Who's got it? Who's got it? It wasn't arachnophobia. Uh, no, Jinju, it wasn't arachnophobia. Raven, it wasn't Por Porky's 10. What the? <laughs> There's a Porky's nine. <laughs> uh, nope, not Doom. Not Doom. I'll say. I'll say it again. Writer Wesley Strick got the job to write the Elm Street remake after impressing New Line Cinema with his prequel script to what 1995 horror film? I'll nope. say this is the and this is the the um, my ex when I my ex girlfriend like way back when this was the first movie we went to go see together in theaters. Was that and it wasn't breakdown going cash. <laughs> Jinju's got it. There it is. There it is. The correct answer is seven. Actually, C7N. <laughs> C7N. <laughs> There's a good a good a doom, the tie that binds, breakdown. Interesting tango and cash. Come on, Charlie. I expect more from you. <laughs> Big time about that answer is perfect. Yep. <laughs> So congratulations, Jinju. Yes. Up shit. <laughs> and this is interesting. as interesting as it is. I would have liked to have to have read that script. That I mean, I don't know what they where he would have gone with it, but if it was enough to impress New Line and get him another gig, I would have liked to have read that. Um, apparently, obviously, it wasn't impressive enough to shoot, but uh, that would be tough to do because I mean, Morgan Freeman and uh, Morgan Freeman makes Seven, along with Brad Pitt. Right kind of hard i mean which one of those characters do you go into their backstory and then how do you recast just brad pitt's fucking you know or, or, or go into the backstory of john doe or you go to the, but then 
you know, Kevin Spacey, he's too busy, you know, doing other stuff he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure Kevin was exonerated of those issues. Was he, or did he just quietly go away? I, I don't know. I, I'd heard he'd been. Did he just use homosexuality? I'd heard he'd, been, I'd heard he'd been exonerated, but. I think he the, the the damage was done, so it may take some time before he ever comes back. Um, so and Andy says, "What's in the What's in the box?" Really would have loved to see Gwyneth Paltrow's head in that box. Well, uh, fun fact: if you want to see Gwyneth Paltrow Paltrow's head, the head that they were going to use in the box that they were going to show in the box, and they didn't they didn't show that that same head was used in the movie Contagion after her character died in the hospital. They use that same head. Yeah, but hey, we got this head. What are we gonna do with it? Let's we got the, yeah, we, we got this with Paltrow head. Let's 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 put it to you. So they use yeah. it in the movie Contagion. So how do you keep it for that long? Like someone's uh, like, well, I got Gwyneth Paltrow's head. No. Let me just store head the question is, who had it? Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, by the Kevin, way, Kevin Spacey had it. <laughs> I like. I wonder if you can get a job in Hollywood just making celebrity heads. So it's like a. All oh, right, so can. we got Matt Damon's dying in this film. Call the head guy, and he just already has a Matt Damon head ready to yeah. go. And he's got a, he has to speak with like this weird, just like long, low voice. Matt Damon, <laughs> Matt Damon. Yeah. Knows everybody, yeah, the original script had Freddie being innocent, and it was a vengeful spirit. So, yeah, the, uh, was the a original Wes Craven script, or no, the, the, the original remake one. The remake script. I'm glad they wanted to make him into a vengeful. But then then it's 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 bringing it's bringing a kind of uh, what was it? It's a sympathetic note that they 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 like if that they tried to do with Jason and you can't make Jason sympathetic. No, you can't make any one of them. Look, Jason was already had a sympathetic note in the first movie. In the very first movie, he already had a sympathetic note, and that wasn't good enough. It became unsympathetic the minute he tracked that final girl to her apartment. And drove and an ice pick through her head. Her yes. <laughs> That's when you cease to be You're like, all right. Sympathetic. We were gonna give you a pass, Mr. Voorhees, but now, <laughs> but now I gotta take away, I have to take away your recess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, medium macabre. I think it's known as a fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh man. Oh. And that will bring another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. Thank you all so much for listening, and we truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you didn't, check your pulse. Join us next week when we look back at classic Bill Lugosi in The Black Cat. Ooh, that's a fun one. The oddball zombie comedy Dead Heat. It's a different movie, I thought. More <laughs> Tall Man Horror in, <laughs> in Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, and the hilariously gruesome Benny Loves You. That's true. We'd like to send a special shout out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make the weekend horror, the incredible success it has become. Thank you all so much. We actually picked up a couple of new ones today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank uh, you be so sure much. to stop by Josh Olson's store, www.badsamurai.store. He does all of our amazing artwork for the show and his designs are incredible. Go pick up his shirt. He's a really great guy. I've known this guy since high school. Really awesome dude. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials where you get the daily splatter right into your feeds and check us out at digital darkness our new youtube gaming channel hosted by the wonderful alien x gaming remember you too can help combat the evil algorithm by dropping a comment liking subscribing and smashing that bell as if it were 
a UA Bowl waving a new game adaptation script for all the latest updates to our to the show. My goodness, you have to throw that UA Bowl shit in there. Mm-hmm, I do. And lastly, if you love what we do uh, and you would like and are able to support our production, you can do so through our Patreon. Uh, because we all go a little mad sometimes, you can show your weekend horror love by joining one of our subscriber tiers. Join your fellow fanatics, slashers, possessed, and mastermind patrons for all kinds of special behind-the-scenes access to the weekend horror podcast. But if patron isn't your favorite stalking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal. Links to everything, including our Discord community, where you can find trailers, trivia games, horror watch parties, share your own content, and even interact directly with the crew are down in the description. As always, sharing this show with the fans in your local horror community is the absolute best way to help us further our goals of global horror domination. Such a good song. Thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast could have. I'm the fat guy still. I'm JL. I'm Eugene. We'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared. <laughs>